just a good-looking pair. And any barmaid can be a star maid. If she dances with or without a plan, hooray for Hollywood. When you're terrific, if you're even good. Where anyone at all from Shirley Temple to Amy Semple is equally understood. Go out and try your luck. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you, children of all ages, you, yes, you. Are we, are we uh, rated for all ages these days? <laughs> depends on who I'm hosting with. Uh, you are listening to a Rattledge and Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood. And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Hey, everybody. Welcome to 2022, the sequel to 2020. <laughs> it'll be a franchise before you know it uh and what so at what point is there the reboot 2030 how, how, 2030 okay reboot you know i have to say well i, I have to i'm gonna give you a compliment that, sandwich. oh god i can say it <laughs> I, i'm i might get in trouble for this but 2030 is when don jr wins <laughs> runs for president so i'm gonna give you a compliment sandwich or you know um i have to i we talked the Matrix Resurrections last week. Are you doing your best Khrushchev impression? Did uh, <laughs> banged it you and ran forty five minutes uh, about the Matrix Resurrections? And going into it, I was like, I don't know why this film. Has, and we talked about this. We don't need to regurgitate that conversation, but um, there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. Yeah. Uh, going into it, I was just like, what are you so mad about? Like, I, I just like it's not a good <laughs> film, but. Jesus, it's not as bad as you're making it out to be. It, it really is. Hang on, I'm getting I'm gonna get there. That's <laughs> okay. a compliment sandwich. Um, so I'm watching the first Matrix with Jonas yesterday. I which imagine I, that was fun. Yeah, it was. We got to he got through it okay, you know, because it gets a little long in the tooth in the middle, especially if you're an almost an eight-year-old. Yeah. But he he got through it just fine. Um, and then he get and then he gets to the from every everything from saving Morbius on, he was like, "This is the most amazing movie oh, yeah. ever." He's just like, he's just sitting on the edge of the bed, like in the golem position, going, "So many bullets, so <laughs> many bullets," and you know, oh, that's precious. Yes, he's he's really getting into the whole action thing. So he he loved the hell out of it. My my viewing experience was something slightly different. While I enjoyed the time with my son, and I still enjoy the movie. I'm now realizing how much the Matrix Resurrections really does suck. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> it is far worse than I was giving it credit for upon watch rewatching the first one again. Because your memory for detail is better than mine typically. And I'm guessing this is what informs some of your, your frustration. They downright copy not just like dialogue, but like scenes movement by movement, and especially in the first act. Of, they, uh, of there are, I mean, there are periods where they straight up overlay the film. Yeah. Now, I give the film a, I, I give Resurrections a touch of credit because they're deliberately trying to mess with your perception of reality. So mm. I think to a degree, there it works. Right. In in specific circumstances, in other circumstances, like God, you're lazy. Yeah. There, there's there's paying homage, and then there's lazy writing and copying and just you know. Like, I, we, we, we said this at length last week. We don't need to, you know, I don't need to go into any more depth in this and saying this woman has a singular talent. She made the Matrix once. 
That's all she's ever been no, able to do. She contributed to the making of the first Matrix. Yeah, she contributed to the making of the first Matrix. That is all she is. That is all she is able to do, and she should not do anything else because it's another failure. Um, I don't remember what the second thing was. I was gonna, I was gonna nerf you about, but it doesn't matter. Um, let's get on with the show. We're 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 done with that. I just wanted to. I just needed to touch base okay. with you on that again. So we're talking. Don't look up and being the Ricardos tonight. And you know, normally we're putting we... on our. We're, we're not. We're not quite dressing up tonight. Obviously, <laughs> not ascending. <laughs> but we are. We're dealing in slightly uh, more sophisticated pre- offerings, in theory. I, I would like a pat on the back for my being less married to strict structure as I used to be. Because, you know, Damn You Hollywood used to be a singular film, and that was it. And it was a deep dive into that film. And, you know, and last year... Oh, this here, time hang last... on. Let me, let me reach over. Here you go. Thank you. <laughs> um so, uh, you know, last year you had said, like, hey, we, we don't know where this is all going. Um, so why don't we start doing more of these streaming movies? And, uh, you know, we came up with a new segment. Like, I, I reworked the structure to accommodate that. And then I just gave up on it altogether and created a triple feature for it um, to kind of get more of those done. But the, the, other, th- but the other thing that happened was um, we... <sighs> I started thinking about like the difference between like a triple feature and a damn you Hollywood. It's like damn you Hollywood. I really want to attack the newest movies, but many of the newest movies that are, you know, that are in the national conversation that are being talked about that are up for awards are on streaming services. These two don't look up and being the Ricardos are both like on the short list for best picture nominees. And neither of which should even come close to taking that home. Well, that's going to be a conversation we're going to have. Um, uh, I, so- I just for the record, people, um when we talk best picture there's a lot that goes into best to being the best picture of the year it's not the most popular one it's not going to be spider-man you nerds you yeah you people (laughs) you you know what i'm just i'm very briefly going to do this just Mm -hmm. very briefly all of you idiots whining about things you like not being recognized for awards don't watch the awards anyway. You don't care. Why do you want validation for them in that particular respect? What's the that's matter with you people? The validation. That's the key word there. They want you don't the validation. Care. You don't care about it anyway. You just want a bitch. Okay. It's nice to be paid a compliment. Yeah? So if a stranger comes up to you and says, oh, you look very nice today. Or, you you know, that, oh, that's a lovely shirt on you. You know, like, you don't care about that person or their opinion, but they said something nice about you. And so now you feel good about yourself. Well, That's essentially people's relationship to the Academy. They don't care about it. It certainly doesn't care about them. But if the Academy says Spider-Man's the best movie of the year and it's your favorite movie of the year, suddenly you're less suicidal, I, I assume. It, it, again, <laughs> it know? doesn't make sense. If you don't care about the award about award season, I'm not saying you should. Lord knows I haven't cared about the Oscars in at least five years. Hang on. Now I remember what the second thing I wanted to okay. tell you was. So many, many moons ago, we came up with this, I, and it was funny to me at the time. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it was funny to you, and so we just ran with it. We've been running with it ever since. We started calling the show Damn You Hollywood. I noticed today, and I hadn't noticed it before, because I had Sean on for the triple feature last night. And, you know, um, if you've ever done a show with Sean, Sean's language can be salty. Every All of us are, except for you. Um, and I that's because you're purposely trying not to be. I try very, very hard to clean up my language, yes. But yes, because of the YouTube monetization thing, I've really worked hard to not do it. Sunday night, and I don't want to tell other people, like, could you, like, cut it? Like, you've heard, like, at this point, if you've, you've heard me say I'm cutting back for the purposes of monetization, I would hope 
the signals to everybody else maybe they should too but i'm not about to start like making rules about it so i just kind of go with the flow but i was looking through the youtube thing last night when i was putting it up and <laughs> i was looking at the cursing thing because sean cursed a couple of times and i was like eh, i don't know if this is gonna fly let me look at what the specifics are it specifically says don't name your shows things with a curse word in it <laughs> you know like damn <laughs> Like, how have we at every single one of the damn you hollywood we've done we're monetized there's no problem with it and it says it in the title damn you hollywood whatever stupid the, the, look about. the the workings of youtube are <laughs> known only by madmen who have stared too long into the eldritch <laughs> abyss where the out where the outer things i came dwell. close to renaming the show because of it and i was like ah, well if they're not telling us to change it i'm not gonna look, change if, it now. if they ask us if they ask us to change it, we'll change it. Like we'll come yeah. up with something else in a similar vein that expresses how we feel about the state of film in general and whatnot. I'm gonna start calling this critically acclaimed or collider. Um, <laughs> no, that would get you in trouble. I, right. I'd probably just change it to Hollywood sucks. <laughs> it stinks. Which which just doesn't have the same kind of ring to it as damn you. Like, there's a reason we stuck with this. And, and, and look, again, if they're not going to make a big deal out of it, I'm happy. No, but I, it did amuse do. me. And so I, I just wanted to bring that up. Anyway, that, so yeah, back to this. We're, we're looking at these. Um, and I didn't want to spend a single show. Neither one of them, quite frankly, deserves an entire show. But there's also really. no money to talk about either. So the on the occasion, the long way of saying something very obvious, on the occasion that this there's material that lends itself to this format. We will continue to do these double up uh, streaming shows because I don't necessarily have to, I don't want to be locked into, I have to find a third film. Yeah. Um, when I just want to talk about two. So, you know, or I just want to talk about these movies with Robert. So there it is. Um, I don't know. I don't think anyone else cares about the, how I structure my podcast. I'm like, oh my God, I just want to hear you talk about the movie already. But hey, this stuff matters to me, man. It matters. <laughs> So as we, start, order. as we start 2022, we've <laughs> gone 10 and a half minutes. <laughs> well, we haven't threatened a celebrity yet, so we're doing better than we did in 2015 and just, 2016. Just, just wait. <laughs> we'll get All there. Right. Thank you. Speaking of threatening celebrities, let's talk about Don't Look Up by yes, Adam McKay. Let's. Hey, how, so oh, Adam McKay, Adam we McKay. reviewed his did, big short, which we both we did, really and, liked. Uh, I... I I like the heck out of that movie. I still yeah, rewatch it from time to time. It's great. Uh, yeah, our review was very complimentary of it, and that's up now in the archives. Uh, it went up the week that this was in limited release in theaters. Did you see Vice? Uh, I think so. We never talked about it. I know it, we didn't review it, but I think I saw yeah. it. I was not... Like, he really... McKay really peaked with the big short, mm -hmm. and he's been he's not quite been able to regain that level. Mm -hmm. I uh, I saw Vice in the theater. I think I saw it on a date with Melissa, and um, I, I never thought to talk about it with you. There was probably something else, you know. There was probably a Marvel movie or something that same week. Almost so certainly. I, I, so I was like, well, you know, priorities, and we weren't, and I wasn't quite the operation we've got going right now. So there just wasn't room or structure for it. But I liked Vice a lot. I thought uh, Adam McKay certainly has a point of view and he has an agenda, and I think if you can just let go of that and accept that that's what it is like he wasn't going the film was not i think unfair to dick cheney it was unkind but he has an unkind view of the man and the man in some cases earned it um but well, i thought i thought the i the thing about oh yeah 
I remember that now. The thing about Adam McKay movies is it's always a phenomenal cast putting their best foot forward, doing a phenomenal performance job. Um, well, the, problem is, the, the problem is Adam McKay's um, sort of approach to things uh, tries people's patience, at least some people's. There are people who I think appreciate Adam McKay and are in agreement with him. And so the film is artificially, their view of the film is artificially inflated because they agree with the man. If you disagree with him and the film isn't deftly handled, your perception of the film becomes much lower. And I think that's sort of the short story about Adam McKay. I, I think that's where my, one of my big grabs with this movie comes from. Um, you, you know, one of the things I liked about the big short, uh, while it did have a point of view to be certain, mm -hmm. it was never, and you said this about vice and I do more or less agree with you that it's never unfair. Mm -hmm. It's, it's skewed. Mm -hmm. To be certain, but that's inevitable when you tell someone else's story. Even when they tell their own story, it's going to be skewed. There's, sure. the, you know, the closest you can get is just, you know, pure voyeuristic observation. And even that is colored by your perception of it. That's why the Heisenberg uncertainty principle exists in the first place. Have you ever read any of the Bob Woodward presidential books like Bush at War or the one he did on Trump? Uh, I, I read Bush at War, just as another example in a different medium of somebody who... He, he was given access. He wrote what he saw. He has a perspective, but I I don't... It, Bush at war didn't always make Bush look terrible. It didn't make him look great either. I But I think it was as close to an honest portrayal of what was going on in the White House at the time Bob Woodward was there. Yeah. And I, th I kind of think that's that was Adam McKay's approach to Vice. You know, like, he may not like... He, he, he might have been motivated to tell the story of Dick Cheney because he doesn't like Dick Cheney and people should know what a, what a horrible human being um, he's perceived to be. But um, he did those things. <laughs> Adam McKay showed that. And that's like, there's, there's no, it's like, if you're going to do the story of Hitler, you kind of have to talk about the Holocaust. If you avoid it, you're, you're missing a huge chunk of the story. Like yeah. we just can't, you just can't talk about his veganism. It doesn't work that way. I mean, look, you can't, yeah, you can't tell his story just talking about his his artwork. Right. You can't tell the story of Stalin focus on the atrophying of his right hand. <laughs> like be some movie though, wasn't it? <laughs> the, the the struggle of one man in a position of power to overcome the physical the, the physical <laughs> crippling of his main appendage. Like no, you kind of got to talk about the millions and millions of people he brutally murdered and enslaved. Like right. that's There's no getting around that. And I think I think my big gripe with um, "Don't Look Up" is that, for a chunk of it, it is fair. Like for a big chunk of this movie, it is it is satire in the way it's supposed to be done, in that it is happy to blast all sides. All right. So you want to talk about what happens in this movie? It, it, yeah. It's, it, this is this has got to be a short plot synopsis because there's not much plot here. there this really is, isn't this is more of you know someone holding up the looking glass to the, the 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 current national conversation and specifically and i did want to share this real quick just so, so people get an idea um adam mckay said quote the movie came from my burgeoning terror about the climate crisis and the fact that we live in a society that tends to place it as the fourth or fifth news story, or in some cases even deny that it's happening. And how horrifying that is, but at the same time, preposterously funny. That's more or less the plot of this movie. 
It is, and I think that's one of the reasons I that's one of the reasons I take umbrage with the the point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is a big picture argument. He's drawing a real false equivalency with this particular film, and I have issues with it. But I so you're correct about that. The the, the plot goes as follows. Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio discover a comet that is going to hit the Earth. And they tell the people that they're supposed to tell. They tell the people they're supposed to tell. They all fly out to the White House to try and talk to the president. Uh, played by Meryl Streep, whom I completely lost patience with it with about four years ago. I loved her in this, but we'll talk about it. I just... Uh, again, I, we can talk about it, but I and the, this is not an issue with her portrayal here. Mm-hmm. It's more like, okay, you, I know who you are now. Okay, and like it's my baggage attached to her as an actress, not to her performance. All right. Um, they finally get to talk to the president, who is more concerned with the, her Supreme Court nominee than the death of the planet. And being reelected, that's a big part of her motivation. Yeah, and, and the midterms coming up and everything. And they would rather not deal with this problem, so they push it off. The scientists talk with news outlets who run the story, and then other, because science, I'm going to save it. Other scientists, I'm going to save it for a, re- for a very specific reason. Uh, they are somewhat shot down after the fact by other scientific organizations that disagree with their calculation of probability because the math in this particular case comes out to not a 100% probability that this is going to hit the Earth, but a 99.997, <laughs> which you should just round up. <laughs> it, it amazes to me that stupid people sometimes get caught up in the minutiae when it suits them, but which is part of the point the movie's making here. Yeah. You people couldn't round to save your life unless it's going unless it save, serves your purpose. Um, eventually, however, it is this is this is inevitably confirmed by everyone. So the governments of the world kind of get together. The plan is to launch Ron Perlman into space, which we should do anyway because he's a good he's a funny guy and he deserves a trip to outer space. I mean, why not? I love Ron Perlman. Don't give me that look. <laughs> the plan is to launch him into outer space with a bunch of nukes. And detonate them to deflect this particular comet, which they said was what three to uh, three to I ten kilometers. Like, yeah, I thought it was like like about nine to ten kilometers. But they said uh, about, uh, about the size of Mount Everest. The one, yeah, the one that uh, famously impacted and allegedly killed the dinosaurs, and there's some scientific yeah. dispute about that. Was about this size, about six miles uh, wide, all totaled. Which, again, is certainly enough to uh, be a serious problem. Uh, that's their plan, but their plan is derailed by their their very cheap imitation of Elon Musk. And um, I can never remember the Apple douchebag, but him. Oh, um, Steve something. Jobs. Jobs, that's yeah. It. Thank you. So their unholy union of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk has had his own scientists look at this thing and determine that it's made of a bunch of rare earth minerals that are used in the manufacturing of all kinds of uh, microchips and whatnot. And this thing's net value to the, to the 
human race and to the planet is hundreds of trillions of dollars. And rather than simply deflect it, he wants to send up his own gadgets that will drill into it and break it up and then uh, slow its descent through the atmosphere so that it's... Uh, and also, once there are a bunch of little ones instead of one big one, it's not nearly as much of a problem. It's not necessarily true, but that's kind of the point as well. Then we can all harvest this and we will all become so much richer, never minding the fact that the the rare the value of these things is driven by their scarcity you can't dump this much of something that's supposed to be that's not how markets work idiots well there was a vested interest in just having the materials even if they yes. everybody else made the leap to we'll all be zillionaires that's all true. he was saying was the expense of making a cell phone will go higher because i'm lacking in the resources to make the chips and whatnot this thing is full of the rare rare materials i need so we can continue to make cell phones, which is why he's a billionaire. Yeah. So they try this. They abandon the plan to simply divert it. They try this. They go to go, try this plan instead. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who has become in slightly drunk on the fame of, of the celebrity status that he's been enjoying, decides to go along with it because the science is sound and he's popular all of a sudden. And uh, Kate Blanchett sleeping with him. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of reasons. Mm hmm. And eventually he's confronted by the reality that, you know what, this isn't going to work. You, you've, well, you've said a lot of nice things about this plan, but mm -hmm. you've never had it studied. You've never had it peer-reviewed. You've never actually done the work beyond random modeling. <laughs> and I don't want the planet, I don't want humanity to die. Yeah, I must interrupted you, but I'm realizing that did come first. Because then him and Jennifer Lawrence go on a media campaign. Yeah. Um, being a little bit more schooled in media than when they first started, which is a big plot point. Um, so they go on a big media campaign, uh, which inspires the rest of the world to try do their own plan A. Right. So and, the so the uh, Russians and the Indians try to launch their own deflection, mm -hmm. and it goes badly. It just blows up on the launch pad, meaning that with the time allotted, and the, the title of the book "Don't Look Up" comes from the notion that once this thing gets close enough, which it does at one point. You mm -hmm. can see it in the sky. Right. And all you have to do is look up and see for yourself that this thing is going to hit us. And the political opposition doing what all political opposition does at this point in time in the in our dumb culture says, don't look up. Right. So it's, naturally, because the culture war is the culture war. <laughs> yeah. Don't look up becomes the analog for the real life. Make America great again. Right down yeah. to the red hats. Yeah, and this goes badly once it becomes too much of an issue for even the people who support the president to avoid. The plan by said awkward billionaire fails spectacularly. And Gen uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Timothy Chalamet, who shows up to collect a paycheck, along with Leonardo DiCaprio, go back to his house. To He reconciles with his wife and his children. And they just decide, you know what? I'd rat I I think this is the best way for me to die. I would rather reconcile with my family and spend my last minutes here with everyone that I care about. Uh, the president and a bunch of other people get on a rocket ship that is launched into outer space. Eventually they find another planet after being in cryo sleep and losing some 40% of their people along the way. Then a bunch of naked old pe old people wander around a new planet until all the carnivorous 
life forms over there attack them and that's where we kind of end that there's Can a I... post credit scene where jonah hill climbs out of a pile oh. of wreckage yeah and says please like and subscribe to my youtube channel and it's <laughs> the funniest thing in this whole stupid movie in some respects let me let me before I, I get into my craft analysis i did enjoy it, it look whether or not you enjoyed the joke it, it's fine i i did i thought it was funny because you have the uh jeff bezos analog who says that my algorithms are more he's he's doing the thing from foundation you know predictive psychology where yeah, he's sure. like my al huh yeah yeah keep going yeah my my algorithms tell me more about you than you know about yourself and now fast forward to later on in the movie where he's talking to Meryl Streep and it's almost like a gypsy conversation that they're having where he where she's asking him questions and he tells her, yeah, our algorithms that you're going to be eaten alive by a rock and rock a rock rock. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. And she was like, oh, OK. And she's like, that's weird. She's like, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. The thing that eats her at the end of the movie is a bronze rock. Yeah, like it <laughs> eats her and everyone goes, well, what is that? And he goes oh, i guess that's a bronto rock <laughs> right it made me laugh i mean I, I i i'm dying to hear your issues with this movie here's my it, it's there are good bad and ugly things about this i think as satire it works very well this I, is the, the if we're just talking satire this is the mm -hmm. best satirical movie in years this is right up there with idiocracy and really being yeah. able to take the temperature of it excuse me, of the national conversation and, and behavior and pointing at and saying this in, and holding up a mirror and saying, this is what you are. Yeah. Um, and I'm, it, it reminds me of you. This is what you are and I'm judging you for it. And <laughs> I was like, okay, I, uh, I'm with you, Adam McKay. It's way too long. Um, yeah. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately. It makes me sound like I only like 90 minute movies. Look, earn your runtime. Yeah. This thing is over. This... This, is this is almost two hours and 20 minutes. It doesn't need you. This story was a 90 minute story. Yeah. This was not a two and a half hour movie. Um, this might, and actually, I wanted to talk to you about this. I'm glad I said that out loud because it pinged something I wanted to bring up on the show. And I wanted specifically to talk to you about this. I think we're in, and it does relate to the craft of the movie, specifically the length. But if this, I think we're at a tipping point or really a critical junction in how film is being developed now because. 20, 30 years ago, the studios who had more of an input in what films were made and how they were made, which is where we get the notes gag that we do, um, they were very heavily involved because you had to really work hand in hand with the theaters. To maximize profits in the theaters, you needed shorter movies um, that you can turn over like a restaurant. You know, the faster you can turn tables over, the more customers you have, the more customers have, the more money you make. The yeah, faster uh, you can turn, the, the shorter a movie is, the, the the shorter it takes to turn it over, uh, clean the theater up, and put more people in there, the more money you make as, as a theater. Yeah, this is for the record, right. for the record, anyone who's who may not understand that, mm -hmm. the assuming your theater opens at eleven, mm -hmm. ten or eleven, which would be an early opening. But if you have a ninety-minute movie versus a two-hour movie, by the time you get to closing time, that almost allows for another showing, a, a whole other uh, right. theater showing. So that's why you kind of wanted them to be a little bit shorter. And it worked for everybody because let's say, again, you have um, movies with shorter run times. You could run more movies without, you know, you're, you're always going to have your Warner Brothers and your Disney's and your Universal's that want to take up more screen time with their movies. And they're paying 
you know, a premium to get those. But um, but for more uh, indie filmmakers, for indie studios, they want screen times too. So it worked out for everybody that if you had shorter movies, you could run more movies more often, and there was a, there was there was room for something extra, you know, some some indie art film, something from an independent studio, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then like with the advent of like the Marvel movies and some of these two hundred million dollar, almost two and a half to three hour movies. Hold on, hold on, hold out. on, hold on. Look, let's place. And we both love these movies, but if we're going to have the discussion about when this started tipping, Mm -hmm. the balance shifted with Lord of the Rings. Okay, I didn't want to bring up Lord of the Rings because I feel like Lord of the Rings earned it. It was sort of a special case. Now, if you're you're citing it as a canary in the coal mine, fine. I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah, that's more what it is. Like, before that point, you wouldn't really see... It's not that you wouldn't see longer movies, Mm -hmm. but... They were a little bit fewer and further between. They tended not to be the big blockbusters right. in terms of budgets that were put into them. And they didn't really, and they very rarely were like, you know, again, the they highest. specialty features for the most yeah. part. And you then. Know, like one or two showings a day in the, in the smallest theater possible because who was going to go sit through a three-hour movie? But then they made a three-hour blockbuster, three of then them. They, yeah, then they made a three-hour blockbuster that made, you know, $800 million. Right. And so, one best picture. So, but well, yes, I, I suppose happens, that, and it's years later that it happens more often. And I'm just citing Marvel as probably the yeah. biggest example of this. They did it the most often. So my point is, given the given how much content they churn out these days, and they almost seem to have a mandate on it being, I think, I think they might have turned the bend on this mm-hmm. in, in the following way: if we have a three-hour movie. And we know everyone wants to see it. Well, then we need another. We can command a whole other screen right. that will push out a smaller film. Here's where I'm going with this and how this relates to Don't Look Up. So it used to be the studios really pushed back on having your movie be two and a half to three hours, which means, which is why we have all these director's cuts out there. They were, you know, it, it, it again, it benefited everybody for the studio to say, knock this down to two hours. The, you crazy person. Your movie about uh, about Stalin's hand doesn't need to be three hours. Knock this down to 90 minutes to two hours. And later on, we'll put out a Blu-ray for the nerds who want to see, you know, your 20-minute scene of the guy in the bathroom taking a poop. Fine. And that worked for everybody because they got to sell extra Blu-rays. People got to see extra footage. It was win-win all around. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. With the advent of streaming, you... You have a you have a different set of circumstances going in the other direction where now one streamers can set up independent contracts with any independent studio or production company they want. Adam McKay's weirdo production company who made this movie, they can just make a deal with him directly, say, here's X, go ahead and make your movie. And it benefits us if it's longer because that's more time. That's why they make House of Cards wow. and, and Orange is the New Black. Because if you can be on their service for 10 hours, that's beneficial to them. That's what they want. So now there's so like we talked about this with Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, which is still going on, I think, which is interpretable. Um, but I, even like El Camino, which I talked about last night, some of these other ones. That, that's why I started to notice there's this huge trend where it doesn't seem like anyone's telling any of these filmmakers cut your movie anymore they're just shooting every single last reel of footage they can and throwing it all up on screen and the only reason i know there's any editing going on is this movie was effing edited with a weed whacker this is almost batman v superman levels of like 
cut to pieces to in the places, point where like it, it's like ADD riddled. In places, and we're gonna have that same discussion about being the Ricardos, but that's a hall <laughs> that's a hallmark of Aaron Sorkin more than yeah. anything else. So the long story short here is that no, there's no adult in the room telling a lot of these people your movie doesn't have to be two and a half hours. And then I think the movie suffers for it. You know, and really like I said, does. they're encouraged to make the movie as long as possible because it benefits the streamer. Where so like don't look up, I think suffers from a lack of notes. Like normally we're like we like hate the studio because they keep pushing notes on a film and it you know and it makes it you know and then you end up with a giant mechanical spider in your western, um, you know or gay effeminate really robots do. whatever. And here I feel like there was no adult supervision. This was just Adam McKay having an Adam McKay time and not having to worry about screen turnover or, or studio notes or anything else. And I and it comes across while I while the point he's making in Don't Look Up I think is sound. And the performances, I think, by and large, are excellent yeah. for every actor's level of talent. So, like, Jonah Hill is playing Jonah Hill, but he plays a really great Jonah Hill, especially in that role. Sure. Um, I think the movie, as, as a film, suffers because it's so long and so overindulgent, and you're just beating the same drum over and over and over again to the point where I don't care about your message anymore. This has gone on too long, and I need to do something else. Yeah, the I feel like the middle third of this film mm -hmm. is a real drag. Yeah. And I, I don't mean that in the sense that there's nothing happening, mm -hmm. though there are segments, but there's a lot of just pointless repeated material. Right. Uh, and some of it is, again, I think it's the repetition that makes it so annoying. Very little of this is stuff that I think should be excised in whole. You know, the bit where Leonardo DiCaprio starts being, he starts kind of falling in love with the celebrity status. That's important right. to the story. Yeah. I don't need five different sequences of him enjoying himself. Like, okay, he's on Sesame Street and he mm -hmm. does the talk show with Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry. Okay. I don't right. need to see him back there three more times. Right. I don't need to see. You know, I, I don't need eight different versions of Jennifer Lawrence's life falling apart as she struggles with the existential horror. Um, they could have cut the Timothy Chalamet scenes entirely from the movie. You lost nothing. And that's not a knock against him as an actor. There's or his performance. There's it lended nothing to the movie. Her not being one except. Hang on. Well, hang one on. exception. to that. The, the thing you needed was her going to her parents house and them saying, we're for the meteor. We want jobs and you're not coming in unless you agree at least to, to, not to talk about this. That was kind of all you needed with Jennifer Lawrence. And then, um, and I don't know if you're thinking of the same thing, but maybe the one sequence of her working in the liquor store. No, I didn't need that. Like, I get why it's there and it's fine, but mm -hmm. here's the only thing that Timothy Chalamet's character really added. And I bring it up because I think it's important. Okay. Um, you can't have this movie, and, and I, let me put it like this about his character. I feel like his character is a studio note in the following way. If you're going to try and hold up this ugly mirror to society, which is most of what this film is, you need to have an earnestly religious person in there. Okay. You don't think that could have been, they could have given all of Tom Bombadil's lines to somebody else. Who else in this movie were you going to give that to? I don't know. Give it to Jennifer Lawrence. 
she's not no her character is not her character is designed to be the give it to the nasa scientist then you could who, who has one of the funniest lines in the movie when they're arresting him and he's like let's everyone calm down i'm just a different pigment than you because my ancestors settled me on yours of me yeah yeah i laughed hard at that uh I might give you maybe him. Mm-hmm. I, I might be able to give you that one. But uh, I, again, I I think that his character serves the purpose of that final prayer sequence. Okay. Um, and to his, and I think to the actor's credit, he does that quite well. That's that's not to say that elements of, I don't need him and Jennifer Lawrence making out three different times. Yeah. Like they're, they're this badly needed to be cut down and reworked. I'm not disagreeing mm-hmm. with you there. I'm saying that I don't hate the character entirely. I just think it badly needed revision. Okay. I, I We can quibble, but it, there's no point. We both are in, in at least in theme, uh, in agreement that you needed to lose several minutes of this movie. Yeah. Stuff needed to be cut out. There's a lot of repetition here. And it's frustrating because, I mean... This this might be a, a disagreement between you and I, but I read a book a little a little ways back about you know Republicans' war against against science, and it talked about um, it, it talked about climate deniers and stuff like that. And I think it is a serious subject that at least, that at least needs to be addressed. There needs to be a sober conversation about it. And I agree. and the movie speaks to that. There's a, specifically a, in the in one of the montages of them doing media where the NASA scientist and Jennifer Lawrence are talking you know are doing the talking the nighttime political talk show talking head thing and they're going up against the conservatives who show up later in the movie and the conservatives are are like making straw man arguments and gaslighting and finally he (laughs) just just leans over and he's like will you please grow up and it's and that's all true you know that's the kind of thing that happens is you have somebody who i can't remember and i've brought this up before and i can't remember where my friend got it from but this is the mid '90s, so you'll have to forgive my old memory. But there, there's somebody who's talking about something very scientific and very specific, and they, and like there's like a sock puppet, are you know, arguing with him, and you know, and it's like if if your daughter was thirsty, would you not bring her a glass of water? And then the the, the conservative shut your stinking trap, and everybody in the audience cheers um, because they're cheering for the line, "Shut your stinking trap." Shut your stinking trap was the predecessor to fake news. Um, so that's how that's how far back that goes. Anyway, my point being, like, there's a lot of truth in this movie. There's a lot of stuff that I thought was resonant, but it it gets law. It's kind of like arguing with my dad, where like the point you're making may be sound, but a you've gone on too long about it. B you sound like a jerk, and you're and you're insulting in the way that you're doing it. You're not trying to win friends and influence people with your argument here. So no one's going to listen to you, even if it's not in their, even if it's against their own best interest, there's a way to, there's a way to get people to listen to you without being an ass about it. And that's kind of the other problem with this movie is yes, Adam McKay, you're so smart. You're so pretty. The point you're making is very sound. Maybe people would listen to you if you were less an ass about it. He's a little up his own ass. Yeah. And I think here's my other big problem with this. And one, the devastating potential of of a celestial body of the size that he chose. It's clear he didn't want to go like the Armageddon route. You know, it's the size of Texas. Mm-hmm. But by, by making it the size that he did, 
that's clearly enough to cause serious damage and potentially wipe out a giant portion of life on Earth. It's not enough to do what he's what it, this movie shows it doing. So I have a question, Mr. Wizard, because something about this movie kind of confused me. Uh, a, a meteor or a comet the size of a mountain range hits the desert, pushes enough dust and rock into the atmosphere to which, you know, it makes it unbreathable for X amount of time, as, as uh, I understand it. You get What you get is nuclear winter, right? You get enough right. enough material launched into the upper atmosphere that it actively cools the surface of the planet by a couple of degrees, and then all hell breaks loose. Okay. And uh, what the movie's contention is that this thing's going to hit the Pacific Ocean is going to cause a number of tsunamis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get mo most of many coastlines would have been underwater, but I feel like, and this is why I'm asking, because I really don't know, that if it hits the water, I don't think it ends life as we know it on, on it does. the serpent. The one that, for the, for those unaware, the, the meteor impact that we track that, uh, again, was, there's an argument about whether or not it killed the dinosaurs or not. You, the general, at this point, a lot of the thought process is no, it didn't. It happened around the same time, but they were already on the decline for other reasons. I was going to say, I thought, I thought a lot of it was that's not so much that it killed every dinosaur that was walking so much as it destroyed enough of the ecosystem they couldn't feed themselves and died off that but the part of the problem with that analysis is that all the if you dig down into the fossil layer right mm -hmm. you can see the line of of ash and whatnot that is that was deposited after that thing hit there's no dinosaur bones above it mm -hmm. they're all below it so they must have already been you know Dead. pretty seriously in decline before that right. it hit off the yucatan peninsula it hit in the gulf of mexico um part of the reason that that would still do that mark do you know how deep the ocean is very it's not quite as deep as you think oh there's no <laughs> there's no monsters with giant flashlights on their head no 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 krakens no if something six miles wide mm -hmm. were to hit, it would probably, with that impact, it would still hit the ocean bedrock. Okay, and that's that's what you're that's what you're contending is that it would push the sediment from the ocean bedrock up into the atmosphere. It also, given the heat that it comes in coming through the atmosphere, it mm -hmm. flash boils a lot of the water, even seawater, as it hits. Right. Uh, again, the amount of force being hit is catastrophic like it would still it would still have essentially right. the same impact so i cut in with my question when you were trying to make a point of why he some of what he talks about is in terms of science doesn't work the way that it that, that the movie says it does so make your point there really really quick um yeah the devastation shown at the end i don't think is accurate okay um they call this a uh, at one point the nasa scientist calls this a planet killer mm -hmm. if this is the same size as the one that wiped out the dinosaurs just for the sake of argument let's just phrase it like that guess what happened after the dinosaurs were wiped out what robert life continued <laughs> life finds a way it did not kill the planet right one that size would not render the planet uninhabitable Okay. It would royally mess everything up, and humanity might not survive. This is not mm -hmm. me saying otherwise. This is me saying that the planet dealt with an impact like that before, and life continued in its aftermath. So, 
I know it's like some scientists have weighed in on the movie, and I think some may have spoken to that. I think a lot of people are willing to, one, don't know the, spe the specificity of what a planet killer is versus not, what an impact uh, th the meteor th that size would, would have, nor does anyone really care for the most part. I mean, some scientists ha gave opinions on the matter, gave some interjection, but for the most part, people watched this passively and came away well with one or two one or two reactions it was i loved it you're dead on go adam mckay other people um it pissed them off maybe it you know it was too revealing of their own selves it was too self-critical um you know and they they didn't like they didn't like seeing themselves made fun of that way or 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 are getting so sick and tired of seeing themselves made fun of that way that they just lash out at everything that comes across uncritically where where i'm landing with this so we can wrap this discussion is that as a as a film as a, as a piece of art um it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination uh it's it's well it's well acted yeah um, look I, i'm i'm about to give okay, my other ahead. big i'm about to give my other big criticism of this thing mm -hmm. and it's i understand the 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 artistic logic of likening a meteor to climate change mm-hmm Here's the problem. One of these things is a deeply complicated, nuanced problem. Right. One of these things is not. A big rock that's going to smash into the planet with enough force to render it uninhabitable for humanity for hundreds of years, if not longer, is an unambiguously negative thing that must be dealt with as swiftly as possible. Now, you might, now you, listener, might be going, but isn't the changing climate of the planet very similar? Yes and no. Yes, it's something that we need to be cognizant of. Yes, it's something we need to be aware of. But it's also tied intrinsically to a myriad of more complicated, complex areas than just big rock flying through space. In defense of quote-unquote climate deniers, let's say that, let me say this. There have been dire predictions on the end of humanity having already happened oh, yeah. since at least the 60s. There uh, were entire there books were written about it. Oh, people in the 60s were claiming that in the 90s, Miami would be underwater. Yeah, it's. I have. there have been books written about the food shortages that are going to happen, super criminals. You know, the, the, when it was just global warming, there was stuff about that. This planet was supposed to have died at least two to three times. In you know, in just in, in my lifetime alone, I'm born 1976. So, you know, as politicians who are charged with trying to make sober decisions with the best information possible, and there's a history of both some scientists getting it right and some not so much, but everyone speaking loudly about it, it's hard to argue against there being a healthy dose of cynicism. And I think the movie lacks any of that insight as to why it, that might be. It, it just says smart really people does. say smart stuff, we should believe them religiously, which is not safe either. It re it's really not. And I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that that's, I think, my biggest problem with what the movie... Now, if the movie were just a... One of the things about... You brought, you brought up idiocracy. One of the things about idiocracy is that it is incredibly... This is going to sound really weird. It's apolitical only in the sense that it has no stance on 
the American pol the American like false dichotomy that goes into our two party fallacy, right? It's not saying boo one side, yay the other right. side. It's going, boy, we're idiots. Yeah. And look what happens if we continue down this path of idiocy. Yeah, it's it's very much um, predictive of uh, of what at the time was our current stupidity. You know, it was like it, 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 it almost as if to say liberals will land here, conservatives will land here, the vast majority will land here, and these are the things that are going to happen on our current path. And boy, are we all just dumber by the time we get there. <laughs> right. And. and and that's one of the things that I think this movie lacks is that it takes too it takes too strict a point of view on that. It tries too hard uh, to lean into things that we know are problematic when properly employed in real life. The message of idiocracy is please devote a little bit of time to your education, and your common sense. Right. Which is something that everyone should be putting some effort into. That's a universal and ambiguous good. All right. When it comes to this, this, this is my problem with. Uh, again, trying to make kind of a straight one-to-one -one from climate change to rock in the sky. The science around rock in the sky is very, very clear. The science around climate change alters on a daily basis, it seems. Well, and I'm I... not, and hang on, as a point of view, the climate on this planet changes has changed ever since the volcanoes start erupting and the atmosphere formed. Right. The, the climate now is not what it was, we've already right. dinosaurs, during the Cretaceous, which is not what it was during the Jurassic. It changes. The question becomes, A, how much impact does humanity have on it? Mm -hmm. B, what, if anything, can actually be done about it in a right. real way? I need C, to weigh in on something. I'm sorry. Hang on, let, let me finish. Yeah. C, what is the real world cost associated with mm -hmm. any of plans than what effect they might have? All wrapped up in D, which is partially, we're all idiots, and how unrealistic we are about certain aspects of this. You know, people whine about you know species going extinct, and people try to use this as a benchmark for how bad things are getting. I have news for people. 90% of all species that have ever existed on the planet have gone extinct. This is what I, happens. I, I need to weigh in here. Yeah. There's something people need to understand about the climate change debate. It is a political debate, and here's why it's political. Many of the solutions for climate change have an economic impact. You started to Huge. allude to this, but I, it needs to be said very directly. When you the, the way to curb climate change is to curb behavior. The way that you enforce behavior changes through law. That's, that's how civilization is set up. The problem with that, and this is why you have a lot of conservative objection to it, which tends to favor business, is every time you enact one of these laws... It has a financial impact on business, um, many many of which are, crumble under the weight of it all. It's also, and this gets a little in the weeds, and I really don't want to discuss it much further than the laws are not distributed evenly or fairly. What you know, what is said to be, what is said to have to be done in France and the United States is not said to have to be done in India and China, and. There, you know, and then and you end in up China, having... they're in China. They're putting in one fossil fuel power plant per person these days. So the point being is that it isn't so much you have people denying climate change on a, like a religious basis, you know, or or, or, or anyone... being or being evil about it. It's like, hey, before we cause IBM to go out of business, how about we look at what it is we're doing, make sure it's fair across the board, and make sure we're not doing things like that, and. The problem is before you try to before you decide that banning plastic straws 
is the way to go about cleaning up the ocean. Maybe look into where 90% of the 80, 80 plus more than that. Actually, the, the United States is responsible for less than 2% of all plastic waste that gets dumped into right. the ocean. And yet Seattle's banning plastic straws. Good and, on you. You did and something. The, right? And the gaslighting, you know, and straw man arguments go both ways because when a conservative, when a sober minded conservative says, Hey, it's not that we don't want to do anything about climate change. It's that we don't want to run screaming into the dark about it. Let let's do this in a sober and safe and, and, conservative manner and i mean conservative in the don't make drastic change make conservative change. conservative as opposed to radical not conservative as opposed yeah. to liberal in this case and then the liberals say why do you hate the children well, <laughs> because, well because i've met your children first of all like anytime somebody anytime someone does something like that but won't you think of the children i've met your children we're better off without them the point like, is it, they go why do you hate children why do you hate fresh air and clean yeah. water and it's like that's not anything of what they just said that, yeah. So, so that's like, not the point. The for point anyone is, listening, to this was like a hardcore liberal. Like your side does this shit too. Please, like let's let's get a grip. Um, I, 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 what was the other thing? That, and I mean, if you want a nice little litmus test about whether someone is serious about it, about dealing with climate change, mm -hmm. ask them their stance on natural gas and nuclear power. Anyone who says they want to shut those down is not serious about it. And so, there's a there's a gag line from the this is a deep cut but there's a gag line from the movie volcano it stars tommy lee jones that came out in the night that's oh, great i love that movie uh there's two bits of cgi that just hurt my soul but I, i've seen that movie a bunch of times i for what it is it's a lot of fun like, mm -hmm. i enjoy it there's a line where a couple of characters are arguing and they're arguing about putting a subway extension uh in los angeles and one of the characters says fine let's do everything your way Oh, what's my way? We'll level, we'll level every building over two stories tall and we'll all go back to horse and buggy. <laughs> and I feel like there's a contingent of the ex more extreme left these days. Right. That was that, that's the camp. argument they're making. Right. Yeah. We, we should we should we should have no cops, buildings, businesses or money and everyone should live in a cave. It's like and for some reason, not, the, like, for some reason, the people from Ho the senator from Hawaii <laughs> supports this. Like we shouldn't have air travel, okay? <laughs> um, and and here's the thing: oh, that like, goes for you. You can wish that, and you can scream on television and and put stuff on Twitter. It's not gonna. No one's gonna listen to you. Nobody, no sober-minded adult is going to listen to crazy talk. Yeah. So anyway, the point that I wanted to get to is I'm wondering if the whole film, and this is the last thing I want to say about this, and then I want to move on. Um. I wonder if the film is better served if Meryl Streep doesn't do the whole bit of let's assess it, let's 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 reassess. Cut that entirely out and have her just go, you know, have her be a little less Trumpy and a little bit more um a, a little bit more Bush senior, a little bit more Reagan and have her go, I believe you. You you know, you're you're with the guy, you're with the guy that I trust at the very least. You have a rabbi in this particular case who's vouching for you. I will assume you're telling the truth. And when he says, Hey, we gotta get the nukes in the air and deflect this thing, and we and we need to do it now before our window of opportunity passes, and she's like, I'm all in. And then the Jeff Bezos thing happens where she's like, Hold the phone. Our geologists say that we, you know, we've got untold amounts of minerals that we need to make cell phones, and you know. Seeing as I funded your campaign, maybe you ought to listen to me. And she's going, well, it's two different smart people, and one of them gives me money. I'm going to go with the second guy, not the first. I think it's a bit of a stronger movie. 
The fact that we waste 20 to 30 minutes yeah. on her hemming and hawing because that's the perception of what our leaders do, and in some cases what they actually do, um, you know, not take a stand all, on things. It's it's it, it was uh, I took it. I, hang on, I took it as a knock against Bush for Katrina, which was which not saying everything was handled the right way, but that's also been wildly misconstrued horribly. and reported as far as how he handled things and you know his like lack of lack of handling things through the Katrina crisis. Not going to get into it. Go read something. Um, but you yeah. know, the, the, perce the per perception put out the perception by the media and then told as the story was that like Bush mishandled the entire Katrina thing waited too long. And a lot of people died. And that's the end for me, at least that's what I feel like Adam McKay was drawing on as an analog of her going, I don't want to deal with any of this right now. You know, here's my stupid excuse for it. And it's like, how about we just cut that out entirely and not make her a complete idiot? You know, I think it's a stronger, I think, a, I, I think it's a stronger story. And I think she's a stronger character. I think I'm going to disagree slightly. I'm okay. okay. I'm okay with her being, you know, head in the sand like that. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of things I think that make that detract from the strength of the overall script that you could fix by making her a stronger character, but by making her a stronger character, I think bits of the satire die. I feel like the satire is not the strongest pillar of this movie. I think first make good film, then have it have good satire, not the other way around. Uh, which is fair. I mean, as far as I'm going to, if I were to try and fix this, I would shorten the window between we're going to have our people look at it. Mm -hmm. Like I, okay. I, I might have her be a bit more competent in the general sense, mm -hmm. but them being in there and her going, okay, you brought this to our attention. Thanks. We're going to, you know, we appreciate what you've done. We'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. And then them going, but don't you, and their, their reaction needs to be a bit disproportionate. Mm -hmm. Like, Well, they have a disproportionate. See, Jennifer Garner yells out, we're all going to die in the restaurant and the riot breaks out. That's much that. That's fine. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But that's also like in the third act rather than no, in the that's, first. That's, that, that's like, nope. That's earlier in the film than you're nope. making it out to be. That uh, barely the halfway point. Okay. It's not. It's not what you think it is. Like the first thing they do is they go to that newspaper. Mm -hmm. Like they do the whole media thing well oh, before. Right. Like which should tell you how stupid and repetitive parts of this movie are. <laughs> that all of this blurs together. Yeah. I uh, so again, I, I would I would have her response still be a bit maybe a bit on the dismissive side, like I've got other things to do, mm -hmm. but we'll have a look at this and we'll get back to you. And you, here's the other thing about that. If you've got Jonah Hill being Jonah Hill and you just desperately want to push him in front of a bus for this entire movie, <laughs> I think maybe you let him be a bit more of an antagonist to our scientists mm -hmm. instead of just a pointless lackey. Yeah, he, he, he let him be the general whispering in Bill Pullman's ear in Independence Day about yeah, I mean, well, the National look, Security Secretary. Sure. Whatever. I mean, look, here's the thing about his character. If you want to talk about characters that could be cut from this and lose nothing, mm -hmm. you could cut Jonah Hill entirely. Oh, out you absolutely movie. could cut Jonah Hill. But that's that. But that's one of Adam McKay's babies, isn't it? 
you know, he. I need to... my Jared Kushner. <laughs> yeah, I, I need I, I need my my toady in the White House that I can make fun of. And it's like, the, look, it's this is my avatar for all the Trump children. And aren't right. I just so clever? And uh, again, his character is utterly vestigial to the story yeah. and to everything that's going on. Either he needs to be more of an antagonist or he needs to be gone. So mm -hmm. he's a problem. I really again, I, I think you need to make the scientists a bit more hysterical. Mm -hmm. like the the you know the president says okay we'll get back to you we're gonna run some numbers don't tell anyone you have jonah hill if you want to keep jonah hill he's a bit snotty he's a, he's more dismissive our scientists decide to freak out and start telling everyone mm -hmm. then when the president pulls them in and goes you idiots <laughs> okay you decided to try and be the public face of this now guess what you get to do Right. there's ways to smooth this whole thing out that were uh, and i and i think another pass you know i think an executive producer you know for the studio who says hey not just liberals are going to watch this thing you dick you know try try a more even look if you're so damn worried that you you've made a cautionary tale try to reach everybody not just your people you're friends with which i which, think is probably the biggest criticism i have of this movie is once we get like only speaking to one half of the country once we get to the point where like hey let's organize fundraisers and concerts mm -hmm. like once we get to that point like we've lost the plot here yeah uh so i, I think the last thing i want to say i mentioned this briefly but uh the acting especially from dicaprio and jennifer lawrence is exceptional yeah uh, i mean dicaprio in particular like he delivers a really great performance here Mm -hmm. he's one and, of the best actors i mean is I, i'm gonna make a you know hot, i really do need to upload the homer simpson hot take thing but hot take um i think he's this era's de niro and um hua pacino thank you uh <laughs> yeah de niro and hua um de niro and pacino i think he's this generation one of i think like him daniel day lewis a couple of the other contemporaries are the finest actors of that generation uh, he's he's definitely up there, and I appreciate that. I I appreciate it at the end of the movie that one of the things they wanted to drive home was our you know, our point of view characters essentially take stock of what's going on and realize what are the most important things in life. Yeah. It, the ending of this movie, and look, first of all, I want to applaud any film that has the balls to end the world. Like if you want to threaten the world, you like that's a that's a trigger you've got to be willing to pull as an artist. Otherwise, the audience won't go along with you when you threaten it. I as a Chekhov's gun thing, they had to end it the way they did. I my preference would have been the the ship gets hit by an asteroid mid-flight and just never makes it to its destination. I mean, look, if you want to know my preference, if what what really would have made me laugh, mm -hmm. if it misses them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the end is it's close, but it misses. Yeah. And after, after the ship has already taken off and, you know, we've gotten rid of the worst people on the planet yeah. kind of a thing. All right. All right. Well, um, again, all right like make that, your point. So that would have made that would have made me laugh more than anything else. But mm -hmm. uh, I liked the it's rare in these movies that you actually get a kind of wholesome, touching. Yeah. Emotionally resonant kind of conclusion. Um, I mean, even other movies that have actually had the again kind of the stones to actually end the world. 
I mean, if you have the taste for it and for sitting through Melancholia, it does, and it has a slightly similar ending. Um, knowing has a similar ending. Uh, and, of course, Knowing also has the alien subplot, which is just... God, that movie. Uh, could have been so much better. Anyways, uh, I... And just, but putting forth the point that you know, your family and the people you love are what matters. Right. And it's it, it's better, and there is uh, value and righteousness in simply staying with them in the face of death rather than abandoning them in a cheap uh, attempt at preserving your own life. That's fair. All right, and with that said, let us talk some Rotten Tomatoes. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Uh, The critical review of Don't Look Up is brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of Damn You Hollywood, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively, Adam McKay. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly (laughs) anywhere you write on the web, Adam McKay. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements, Adam McKay. To download Grammarly today, what rhymes with McKay, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free, Adam McKay. Look, when we're talking about us, the need for style improvements. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Sorkin. <laughs> so Sorkin-y. All right. Um, so the critics are split on this one. This ended up with a rot with a splat. Um, at 234 reviews, this comes in at 56%. I, am, I imagine a lot of them had the same problems we did. Yeah. I'm, um, not, I'm not surprised at the audience score either. I mean, look, uh, my I've not made any great secret of this. I don't talk politics here unless it's relevant to what we're discussing. I tend to lean more right. I still laughed at parts of this movie. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, the feedback that I've gotten is that the, the critics were kind of torn on it, but I think like the the movie is by and large entertaining. Um, I think mo- you know, I think if most people who aren't as invested in the film as we are probably didn't mind the length. I mean, they probably you know they watched it during some downtime over the holiday weekend when it came you out. Wanna, you you want to know how most of what happens with most of those people, and I don't mean this negatively. Because this is a deliberate thought process, you have to beat your into your head. They probably came out. They probably remembered all the laughs and part again parts mm-hmm. of the satire and whatnot. And for a chunk of them, they probably agreed with the entire point of view that's being presented. Right. And then you know, three weeks later, when someone asks them about it, they might go, "Oh man, but that was that was a bit long." <laughs> like it, 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 it's it's a reality that just doesn't necessarily dawn on you unless you really think about it in the moment so the critics consensus reads don't look up aims too high for its scattershot barbs to consistently land but mckay's star-studded satire hits its target of collective denial square on oh that was the other thing i wanted to mention about this movie so hang on I, i apologize this was a note that i had about the craft if this movie wanted to be this long it needed to be more of an ensemble feature and you, we needed like two other characters to follow through the middle to kind of at least keep you interested in what's going on. That's one of the things that the big short did well. 
you had three different groups of people to follow at different times, so you never got bogged down in the weeds too much about what any of them is doing at any one point. Yeah. All right. So this first one, I'm going to, this first one um, is interesting. Oh, that second one is hilarious. That second, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to read that second one out loud. Just give me a second. Um, Mark Mizoros of the News Herald, Willoughby, Ohio. Ideally, don't look up would make you laugh and inspired to learn more about climate change. As it is, it just mostly makes you tired. You're not wrong, sir. You are not wrong. (laughs) Kent Garrison of Mad About Movies podcast. I want your numbers, sir. I want your numbers. I want to know how you (laughs) landed on Rotten Tomatoes. Show me your papers. Um, Don't look up is 2021's Mars Attacks. (laughs) Um, All right. (laughs) I I don't think that's an accurate conclusion, but that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Matt Neal of Movies Ate My Life. (laughs) Stupid names. Dear Adam McKay, if someone doesn't like your movie, it doesn't necessarily mean they didn't get it. Thanks. You know what? That... You know what? That that's not a splat. That's a fresh review. But you know what? I appreciate him saying that because mm-hmm. so many people, like that's your defense. Yeah, you know, I didn't really enjoy your movie. Well, you must not have gotten it. No, I got all two and a half hours of it, buddy. Oh my god, that was the whole Elizabeth Bank thing, wasn't it? With uh, Charlie's Angels, it's like we didn't like your movie. Well, clearly you hate women. No, no, no Elizabeth. But big, big, big space in between those two points. Uh, Ruben Peralta, regard of Cocalecus? Sure. It's not subtle, but like the killer in Seven said, you can't just tap people on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer. I appreciate the reference to a much better movie. But I mean, look, satire hasn't been subtle in a... <laughs> What's the primary movie we referenced here? Idiocracy? Well, and nothing to, subtle about that. Well, to be fair, I mean, Mel Brooks did satire. Oh yeah, and uh, parody. And in one of his in one of his greatest movies, a black guy walks across the screen with it with a boombox on his shoulder in the middle of the Roman Empire. It, well, it, I, I mean, to be know? fair, hang on. To be fair, the best moment of satire in the history of Mel Brooks is Gene Wilder pulling the sheriff out from behind the rocks and they, he says to a pair of uh, anachronistic members of the clan where the white women at right <laughs> um so again i mean the, the, we're talking so, late 70s early 80s here it's it's you know it's been this you, way for a you while. sir are, are used to i don't know what type of films you're used to reviewing but satire like this has never yeah. been subtle uh, Sean Edwards of Fox for Kansas City. If I wanted to get preached at, I'll just go to church. Fire this man from reviewing movies. Put him back in the weather where he belongs. Um, okay, again, one, I don't, well, I don't disagree with the sentiment. That is a deeply unhelpful review. <laughs> like, yeah. this is a, this is a fairly textbook instance of finding a decent point to make about the film, but getting lost trying to reference how it pertains to the film being good or bad. Um, Matt Pies of MattPies.com agrees yes. with this. It's the, the new idiocracy we deserve. Terrific. This is not as good as idiocracy, just for the record, everyone. We got to go to Starbucks. I don't really need a hand job right now. All right. <laughs> See? <laughs> so good. Um, 
Asher Liberto of LA Weekly. Remember when McKay was making movies like Step Brothers? Now he's making movies like Vice and Don't Look Up. Glib, unfunny infomercials that are closer to TED Talks and Talladega Nights. Aww. I mean, to be fair, Step Brothers is deeply unfunny, too. Oh, my God. Step Brothers is terrible. That's, that's the kind of movie that my wife likes, and she's allowed to like it. She's not criticizing these things. She's looking for 90 minutes of mildly stupid entertainment. Um... Fletcher Powell of KMUW Wichita Public Radio. That's gotta be a pseudonym. Like that's gotta be (laughs) yelling. Look at all the dum dums. Cannot be the basis for successful satire. Bit undercutting of the movie. It well, first of all, it can. (laughs) Second of all, again, I think that I think you're kind of one of these people who maybe felt that this cut a little bit too close to home. Mm-hmm. And you're taking it out on the film in unfair ways. Like, if you're if what you're trying to say is your satire should be subtle, I'm not saying satire can't be subtle. I'm saying there's no, it doesn't have to be. This is not a this is not a genre requirement. And if your response to again maybe feeling a little bit hit close to home on some of what you saw is, well, couldn't you have at least been subtle smile when you call me that kind of stuff like. That's not a commentary on the movie. That's a commentary on you. Gary M. Kramer of Salon.com, top critic. That utter, utter, utter waste of space in the publication era. Oh, this is great. You're going to love this. I really am. Don't Look Up makes a few decent points and gets a chuckle or two, but mostly it's leaden when it could be farcical, sluggish when it could be screwball. 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 The end, you know, this, this end of the world comedy should have just been more fun. Gag me with a spoon, says Mark Rattledge of Damn You Hollywood. I, because really, what I want with my apocalypse is a lot of good laughs. <laughs> yeah. I needed a Carrot Top cameo is what I needed here. <laughs> I, I needed this. I needed uh, Rick Moranis to say he couldn't breathe in his mask. Um, Look, I'm also not disagreeing with some of the points made, but... Uh, I think that I think what you're arguing at that point is purely personal preference about the style, not a legitimate criticism about the film. Like you could do it. This could be a more screwball comedy might have been funnier as a general rule, but that's just the that's just the writer and the director's artistic style. That's not like they weren't trying for screwball and missed your commentary is just, well, I wish this was a different movie. And that's not fair criticism. Someone hid Rosie Fletcher's Xanax and she's tweaking. Oh, really? Yes. Someone someone get her a clonopin right quick. Think of it like a massive Hollywood Christmas special where the top talent comes together to scream, we're all going to fucking die at the top of their lungs. Amen to that. I mean, okay. I've got bad news for everybody. Nobody gets out of life alive. <laughs> the Spoilers. only the only universal constant to life is that it ends. You are going to die at some point in time. Deal with it. Uh Manola Dark Dargles Dargus of New York Times top critics will be the last one because we have to move on. <laughs> that that former newspaper. Yeah. Um in the end, McKay isn't doing much more in this movie than yelling at us, but then we do deserve it. All right. That's not be- helpful. That is deeply unhelpful. And if you just want physical abuse, give me your address. 
I'll come over there and kick your ass for free. Okay. So your, your brother's weighing in here. Um, uh, it says that. Blazing Saddles is one of the greatest satire films ever. He you is can correct. Find, you can find better 90 minutes of mindless entertainment than Step Brothers. And then he put up an emoji and says newspapers. I, yeah. I, <laughs> well, the, the, the New York Times in particular. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Being the Ricardos. So uh, Being the Ricardos came oh. out briefly. <laughs> This Hang movie on, just... hurt me more than Don't Look Up for a variety of reasons. <laughs> uh, December 7th, it, it uh, landed on Amazon Prime. Um, December 21st, it was released briefly in wide release. December 10th for like a week. But, you know, the whole thing was it, it was an Amazon Prime exclusive. Uh, it was released in theaters because it was competitive for prizes. Yeah. It, uh, it, some, it of which, is... some of which it should win. Or at a bare minimum, be nominated for. Like, there's elements of this movie that are very good. So, Aaron Sorkin, um, oh, you just is a my balloon. writer and director of The Trial of Chicago Seven, which is also it was also an Oscar contender. Molly's Game. Hey, hang and... on, hang on. When you talk about The Trial of the Chicago Seven, it was an Oscar contender. You yeah. have to put the air quotes there. Okay, contender. Uh, he's written A Few Good Men, Malice, The American President, The Rock, Bullworth. It was a contender like Marlon Brando was a contender. He could have been. Any Enemy of the State, Charlie Wilson's War, which is awesome. The Social Network, Moneyball, uh, and Steve Jobs. He's known um, in many ways for his television that he uh, written, executive produced, and created such as Sports Night, which I eventually want to talk about with Gavin. The West Wing, which is like everyone's favorite show. Studio okay, hold 60. on. No, 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 no. The West Wing is everyone's favorite. Was everyone's favorite show before that generation started dying off about ten years ago? Okay, Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip, the newsroom, which, which really I... should have lasted. Lo- Hang on, Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip should have lasted a lot longer than it did. That that show was done dirty. I never saw it. I didn't see the newsroom though. Um, that's a of weird ending, but for did. them, <laughs> I like the newsroom. I enjoyed. Watching of course that. you did. Um, and he's written up a whole bunch of plays, whatever. So Aaron Sorkin is is best described as somebody who i think excels in sharp dialogue um Allegedly. that's kind of what he's no i mean it might not be your <laughs> west wing that's a weird way to spell the wire i love your brother he's invited for christmas dinner next year <laughs> um i'm sending him a ticket anyway <laughs> uh aaron sorkin is, is again best known for sharp witty dialogue. Oh, dang it. Now, now i'm just sad that martin sheen never cameoed in the wire <laughs> um he he definitely is another one with a very political point of view. There's a lot of stuff related to that. Uh, he tends to be a little less preachy than some of his compatriots, but he he has his moments as well. Um, and depends being... on Sorkin. It's Sorkin is very era driven. By which mm-hmm. I mean the following: fifteen years ago, give or take twenty years ago, I think he was a lot less than he is now. Mm-hmm. Now and that like, he's getting older, and he sees that his talent is slipping, it's like I think him, Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, they need to like a support group, and I want to, and I want, but I like I want a support group. Oh, as Sorkin. Sorkin is in no way, shape, or form nearly as talented as those other two. Well, no, but they're all like bitching and complaining these days. <laughs> True, <laughs> they 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 all they're all grandpas with social media and getting themselves into trouble. Um, anyway, so. So being the Ricardos is about a week in the life of the making of the show. Um, I love Lucy. And uh, it's premise. It starts off with Lucy is accused of being a communist, even though that she's been cleared by the federal government. Uh, Also her husband's cheating on her. Also her marriage is in tatters. Also, also, also. 
and it's just you know from the from the um table reading to the uh the filming of the episode we get a look at what made that particular week particularly contentious in the life of lucille ball um there's also a lot of flashbacks anything else well, i mean uh, hang on the ahead. entire framing device for this is the kind of faux mockumentary style yeah which just, then leads which leads i was just going to the plot synopsis well again our our framing device here is a mockumentary where people who used to work on the on Isle of Lucy reminisce about the week where Lucille Ball was accused of being a communist. So we can flash back to the filming of the show, which itself has flashbacks <laughs> to earlier points in their lives. And Aaron Sorkin, you're not nearly as talented as Christopher Nolan in dealing with time in film. I, I really need to get to the craft review so that I can scream about the incessant use of flashback in this movie. I hated it. I know. Um, so we follow again Lucy being it is uh, intimated by a popular news uh, news radio personality that Lucille Ball's a communist. Desi Arnaz tries to squash this. They're trying to film the show. Right around this time, we get uh, we reveal that Lucille Ball is pregnant. They're try they goes through try them reworking some famous gags from the show. Uh, we get flashbacks to how Lucy became a star to begin with. Uh, we get her being concerned that Desi is cheating on her, which he is. We get the awesomeness of J.K. Simmons. <laughs> J.K. Simmons, one of the best actors of our age. No kidding. And you know what kills me about... Uh, this all culminates with Desi Arnaz coming up with a scheme whereby... Okay, so they've outed you as a potential communist, even though you've been cleared because the new, because the media, even back then, was an unscrupulous bunch of parasites and here's what we're going to do we're going to invite some members of the press i'm going to introduce you to the crowd and they're going to cheer you and everyone's going to realize nobody cares yeah they actually cut because that's what happened the best line from what desi arnaz said to the studio audience was cut out of this script he got up there and one of the things he said to the people was the only thing read about lucille ball is is her hair and that's not legitimate because <laughs> she was fam her red hair was a dye job right it, it, which is a great line <laughs> like, how could you that man came up with that and said it how could you cut that uh he gets j edgar hoover or at least someone voice acting j edgar hoover on the phone to say that lucy's been cleared she gets applauded she confronts him about his cheating he cops to it they both agree to just kind of go on with the show and we close with the title card with the placard saying that uh, Lucy filed, filed for divorce the day after their final performance together in like 1960. So I want to echo something you said, and Sean actually thought it was a great line because I shared it with him last night. This movie doesn't deserve this cast. Nope. This is an outstanding it, cast. This, this script does not deserve these performances. J.K. Simmons, Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, everyone in this movie gives stellar Oscar-worthy performances. I, the script is not nearly as good as their performances. Like it, nowhere close. Like if you, if so, we talk. You know, us nerdy, hoity film people use words like elevated. You know, there was there was this script. It was elevated by the performance. And somebody who makes you know like belts for a living or something would <laughs> be like, "What do you fuck you mean elevated? What does that even? Do? This is elevated. Yeah, this is this is not a good script." 
Take but because this because the performances are so good, when you're watching it, it feels better than it actually is. It, it, again, if you want to know again what it means for an actor's performance to elevate something that is substandard, imagine someone else doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, there's, there's imagine the same movie, but it's the cast of Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Yeah, like, like, what's your opinion then, right? Right. Because that's if that's what you're. Because that's what that's all we have as far as the script goes and whatnot. It's it's a joke. It's terrible. So yeah, imagine. I mean, again, imagine this is an arrow insert, right? So remember, I said before about movies are not earning their length. This one's also two hours and twenty over two hours and twenty minutes. Did not need it. What the hell, people? Cut every. The flashbacks lended nothing to this movie. Like to, to me. If you're if you're trying to make sort of like a Ray or a Johnny or a Walk the Line, where it's the you know or like a Bohemian Rhapsody, where it's the the beginning to the end of someone's career from you know from birth to death, okay, fine. And, and if you know, and if you're if if the idea here is to show how Lucille Ball became Lucille Ball, if that's your premise, and you you know you want to keep jumping back and forth between this one recording of I love Lucy and how she got to that point and then what happened after fine but that's not really what the movie is trying to do the movie is trying to talk about this the end of her marriage this movie is trying to talk about way too much well the my my, my wife actually I, I'm, I'm always like you know she's like always my my analog for you know Johnny Lunchpail who doesn't think too hard about these movies she's actually the one who hit me to the jive she was like do you not understand what because I because I was complaining about this movie as we were watching it like I, I, if this movie is supposed to, my contention was that this was that because she was, she's on the verge of losing her career because she's being reported as being a communist. And then this is an era where if you're a communist, the, the ground just falls out from under you and you fall into the abyss. And how much pressure she's putting on herself and everyone around her because she feels like, her entire career she you know she may never go to prison for this but she may lose the american people and without the american people there is no i love lucy there is no lucille ball that was to me what the movie was about my wife's like no no no, no you're missing the point the movie is about the end of her marriage and she does say several times throughout the movie you have to save my marriage he says it to tony hale's character and and i and when i realized that that's what this was that you're not wrong robert Everything else distracts from that central premise in such a way that it kind of wrecks the movie because it's all distracting. And, you, you know, when you when you start off with the whole when the whole thing starts off with Lucille Ball's a communist and we go right into the table read where she's on every joke, she's on everybody else. She, it's, it's a high intensity situation. You get the impression that she's doing that because she was accused of being a communist and it's affecting her. And then the rest of the movie is about her relationship with Desi which doesn't really go to the first thing. And when the movie's conclusion is about him copping to cheating, like, then why did we need all this other stuff that was happening? It's well, fine to talk about if it was, if it really was the same week and all, but it feels like Aaron Sorkin had like a list of things he wanted to talk about yeah. and put them all in there. And it's, a, it's a muddled mess. And then we, we all to, like you, you've hit on like the, I think the two major like overarching points. Mm -hmm. lest we forget the subplot where we spend a bunch of time with Desi Arnaz trying to convince CBS and whatnot that it's okay for a pregnant woman to be on TV as being a pregnant woman. My God, that went on forever. 
it, to be candid, I think that's I would have found that story like the story of that fight. Like, mm-hmm. hey, people reproduce. Well, I, here's here's the here's where I agree with you. Pick a fight, and that's what your movie's yeah. about. Not it, it can't be about communism, her pregnancy, their his cheating, and everything else going on, and you know Vivian's eating disorder or whatever it was, well, all, it, it, all it, going on at the a, same time. Yeah. Not not an eating disorder, but her desire to be thin versus and... yeah, all of that. Yeah, there's there's too much that is stuffed into this movie. Once again, no one said no to Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> oh, and there's and there's the constant co- the conflict between the writers' room that gets way too much time. Mm-hmm. Like, aren't you just so there, there's a there's a self congratulatory line in this when they're at the table read, mm-hmm. where J.K. Simmons says, you know, if, if the eight year old kid on the show next door is a communist, well, I'm about to go beat up an eight year old kid. <laughs> And one of the writers leans to the other and says, that's funnier than anything you wrote. Aaron Sorkin, you, I promised I'd cut down on this, but that's a hack line. Okay. Alexis isn't here. You can, you can, no, you it's, can, you can be you. It's fine. No, no, no. Like she raised a valid point about my repetitive no, she vocabulary. She did like that, that episode in particular. So mm-hmm. I've been trying to expand my vocabulary as far as that goes. Okay. That's a hack line. I, that's a, I, I'd rather you just be you. Yeah, sure. I'd rather be a better version of me. Fair. Uh, again, that's a hack line. That's, oh, I'm so clever, and these people who created classic television, well, they don't know shit. <laughs> like, you idiot. <laughs> it, it, so that bothered me. The story, again, it's unfocused. The constant shifting of perspectives, of timelines. doesn't add anything. It gives nothing. you some background on Lucille Ball, but it none of it talks about why Javier Bardier is cheating on, or Ricky is cheating on her. None of it talks about why you she's mean Desi. putting... Desi, <laughs> sorry. Um, none of it talks about why she's under so much pressure that particular week. None of it talks about how why she behaves the way that she does. It, like the, it, the only one of those that I thought worked... Mm-hmm. One was their meeting. Yeah, like that one works. That's that the only one you okay. need. Uh, if you have to do one more, I think the meeting that she has, where they're cutting her contract, and that one's and... that one's fine. And then her fighting to get Desi as her on-screen husband. Those are yeah. okay. Yeah, like I- I'm fine with those. But there's so much else. Yeah, you like her running. You ran three blocks with a bottle of champagne. You know that's basically a hand grenade now. <laughs> like, I don't need that. That scene right. doesn't add much. Yeah, there's a lot of like the early Lucy stuff that I'm like I don't know. When, other than it's pad to the runtime, I don't know what this adds to anything. I don't know what this tells you about Lucille Ball. Everything I knew I I needed to know about Lucille Ball, actually I get in one scene when she's fighting to have Desi as her husband. Yeah. I was like, that's the it's one of the best scenes in the movie, and definitely the best of the, all the flashbacks. And I think just for context, sure, having showing them have, have meeting is fine. Give me a minute or two of that. Give me her in the in the boardroom going, I'm you know I'm gonna walk off this project, and you know, clearly you know we're we're bound for greatness here. So you're you're about to let gold walk out of your room. Give me what I want. You know, and and I think as you know, in terms of just showing what the mindset was at that time, how conservative it was. Again, conservative in terms of let's not make radical changes. I mean, there's there is a solid point to be made if you're a white man in that generation going, maybe let's not put the Cuban on television married to a white gal. 
Like that's sound reasoning for that era. And Lucy absolutely was taking a chance. But I think that I mean, goes if to you the bravery that, of her character. If you also don't know the real story behind, like what, ha like she fought for that. That's legit. Mm -hmm. They shot the pilot, and then they weren't really going to air it. So uh, Lucy and Desi basically created a vaudeville skit for those characters and took it on a on a tour, and then touted the success of their tour as a selling point for like, no, the people are okay with this. Right. I mean, it's imagine that. It is, but like, just it's one of those crazy things. Like, imagine maybe the biggest—that's one of the most successful television shows of all time. Mm -hmm. And the fight to get that made, in some respects, is a little bit mind-boggling. Uh, she has a great line in this that I think also tells you a lot about her character. And that's the thing: credit to Aaron Sorkin's writing. There are times where he really strikes gold with a single line of dialogue. And when she starts talking about like, we make X amount of, I can't remember what the, what the math is, but we make X amount of shows per year. And they all, it's like, they all have to be good. I have you to, know? yeah, I have to kill. I know how I, I know how I'm successful. I show up here and I kill every time, every day for 36 weeks a year. Right. And then I can go home and then I don't have to, then I have to write it. Then I have to get back in here and then I have to kill again. Right. And I think, and again, that tells you everything you really need to know about Lucy so that you can have the rest of the movie. That's the biggest detriment, I think, to this movie uh, uh, overall, is that Aaron Sorkin seems to have felt that the audience needed more than that, and you didn't. You, you again, you queered the stew by throwing way too much into it when this was a much simpler, much richer story in its simplicity, and you made it overly complicated and wrecked the whole thing. Here's... Like, I'm sad I, this movie isn't as good as I wanted it to be. Ditto. Like, I got done with this, and I went... I think one of the things I said in the chat was, uh, this guy's going to make me say bad things about Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, and that's going to hurt my soul, because I love those two. Yeah. Nicole Kidman not given nearly enough credit as she deserves as, as good of an actress as she is. She has been a very, very good actress for a very long time, and I, I'm mm -hmm. with you. I think it's a little bit undersold. I give her credit for a couple of things about this movie in particular. I mean, first of all, the voice. Yeah. Lucille Ball and Nicole Kidman sound nothing alike. Right, and it never comes across like she's doing an imitation. Never. Like, I buy never. that that's her real voice. Uh, that deserves a lot of credit. She's very good about acting beyond just... Uh, you know, we talked about, on occasion, acting with your body. Mm -hmm. and Which is entirely appropriate, given that Lucille Ball was a physical comedian more than anything else. Which she talks about in the movie. She says, yeah. like, I know physical comedy. And I appreciated. I really did, and which is uh, in some ways so much. Y do you know just idle bit of trivia? I happen to know. I don't know if this still holds true. I have to double check, but I love Lucy holds the record for the longest sustained laugh in television mm -hmm. history. Is it the grapes? No. It's in that. It's um. I, f I couldn't tell you the season, and it's uh the the bit where Lucy is learning to tango with Ricky. Okay. Like, they actually had to cut it down because that laugh just didn't stop. Mm -hmm. and, and there's no dialogue. It's just her trying to tango with Desi Arnaz. Mm -hmm. So it's the point being there that if if you have that bits of those bits of dialogue in there, you need a performance as the person outside of the character that that still brings that to life. And Nicole Kidman does a great job of acting with more than just her eyes. Yeah. In this movie is kind of the point there. 
I'll tell you, Aaron Sorkin's dialogue was like made for Nicole Kidman. She delivered like it, it. It's a it's a kind of a weird, quirky film thing to say, but there are there are a lot of more more than I think I, I even realized. People are just reciting their lines, and they're good. They're good enough performance that they can make it work. But it's it's like you were saying before with "Don't Look Up." If you if you started or, or what you said before about if you change the cast, does this work as well? Like Aaron Sorkin's writing coming out of Nicole Kidman's mouth is hand in glove, it, and, and I feel a, like that's just a rare thing to see now. It's a little bit like uh, Tarantino and um, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, like, that's that, a really that, good example. That perfect marriage of. Mm style and delivery and like, and that I, all coming together i could hear nicole kidman just say i clicked the wrong box or, uh, or rather i checked the box like over 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 and never get sick of it it's a it's it's a it's short almost innocuous bit of dialogue but the way she says it is so distinctive it really stood out to me yeah she does a phenomenal acting job nicole kidman throughout mm -hmm. all of this it's really great and the cre credit to javier bardem when i, I want to get to him in a second well, 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 it's not even him it's tony hale's line but it but he's in the scene where he hands tony hale the note and tony hale kind of just kind of throws his hands up in the air and he's like what did this say it says don't fuck with the cuban and he's just kind of dancing <laughs> his way down the <laughs> so um, good I, I look i love javier bardem Mm -hmm. he's a phenomenal actor uh in and the fact that he doesn't across two languages is kind of a rare thing some people get hung up when they have to because he's uh he's a spanish like uh, he's a spaniard mm -hmm. Max, i think he's a spaniard i'm gonna go with that off the top of my head if, uh just go okay if you look it up for me thank you fact checking in real time we don't have a production staff no pat's not watching tonight uh he's uh, he's a great actor in Spanish. He's a great actor in English. And okay, he was born in the Canary Islands in Spain. Okay. Uh, point being, he's great in two languages. Uh, and not just like reciting lines in a different language. Like he acts through his dialogue. He looks nothing like Desi Arnaz in the face. I mean, no. nothing. But... He captures one. He does the accent right, and that's a bigger deal than you might think, because a Spanish accent is not the same as a Cuban accent. But he gets the accent right. He gets the speech patterns right. He gets the physicality right. He gets everything so right that you're kind of willing to go along with the fact that if you put their headshots next to each other, like, okay, they're both humans. <laughs> that's that's kind of where that ends i mean they've both got dark hair but like there's not a lot of similarities in terms of facial structure and whatnot but he gets everything about that so right it's a shame they underwrote his character in some respects mm -hmm. and here's what i mean there, there's a line and it's kind of a throwaway from lucy that desi arnaz was responsible for creating the camera rigging system that allowed studio audiences to watch sitcoms without their view being obstructed. Like the, he revolutionized the way we film television. And he's not, like he's given a lot, it's a line from another person said about him. Like they, they really, I think, undersold him as a character, as a person and his accomplishments uh, in the, in both the production and the action stand and the acting standpoint. And I think it's kind of a shame. Yeah. 
Um, again, that said, that's an issue of writing. Bardem's acting is great. There's a couple of bits, and this is a problem I have with Sorkin's writing in general. He has no grasp on anything other than the contemporary. Which is just to say the following. And look, this is true of any other... Watch his... Look, watch the trial of the Chicago 7 if you feel like you're so inclined to. I enjoyed it. Okay. Now tell me if any words of dialogue from that movie are contemporarily accurate to the 1920s. No. Not a one. Nope. I I'm agreeing with you. Like, this is a problem with him. If you want to set something in the past, there's a degree of respect that has to be paid to how the language has changed over that period of time. Right. And his utter failure to do so is a there's a bit where he threatens to pull the lungs out of one of the ex, like the executive producer. Like you ever patronize me again like that, I'm gonna stick my hand down your throat and pull your lungs out. Nobody said that. <laughs> that's that's an extremely contemporary bit of phrasing. And it it just takes me out of the there's things like that. There's you know just habits of speech and writing and simile and whatnot and it, you know, other idioms that you need to address if you're going to write something set in a different era of speech unless you're deliberately throwing everything like there's another example of this a movie i happen to very much enjoy that deliberately throws all of this out for a different artistic purpose uh but uh i'm talking about a knight's tale which is deliberately anachronistic if you are not trying to be deliberately anachronistic about these things, you have to give respect to how people talked back then. And you don't look, people talk, you said a movie in the nineties, right? People in the nineties don't talk like we talk now. I knew I was there. You knew you were there. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, I might offend someone with this. So I apologize if you have a sensitive nature, but nineties and the early two thousands, every other word was fag how we greeted each other i don't do it anymore because i understand that the contemporary landscape has changed but if you're gonna set a movie in the 90s you better be accurate to it did you happen to listen to the triple feature from last night i have not gotten a chance to yet okay. no this is something that i addressed with sean might have actually insulted him a little bit but i was desperately afraid that sean was going to be angry with me for getting him to watch christine for the very reasons you just said the language used in christine was contemporary of its time and when judged today by what's acceptable, it, it, it is unacceptable. It, it, is, it is not a nice way to speak to, speak to each other. Um, and I, I, I mentioned that I kind of, I miss that level of parlance and dialogue um, just because just I'm used to the way things are now. But it was kind of, but we didn't have the hangups that, with language that we do right well, now back then i if i may the my the argument i would make in that respect is you had mm -hmm. them they were just around different things which is sure. fine language changes okay fair point my my so i just you know there, there were certain things said in christine that i that i thought sean was going to find offensive and i was going to end up hearing about it for the same for the same reasons you just brought up you know that you hear something said of its time, you know, Quentin Tarantino, another example, Quentin Tarantino gets, uh, gets in trouble for, and we actually talked about this with the hateful eight. It was a big part of the conversation when I wasn't saying face rape. Um, we were also talking about the use of the N word. And well, we, uh, um, I don't, we didn't review Django for damn you. Hollywood. No, talk about the hateful eight. 
I know, but like, that, but the same conversation was had around that film, right? So in both cases, there was a, there was a perceived overuse of the N word, and Quentin Tarantino's counter argument was, "How do you think these people spoke?" I I am depicting what I believe to be based on the research I've done how people would have spoken to each other at that time, and in both cases of Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, you are transported to those times through the use of that kind of dialogue. Same thing with Christine. I felt like I was back in that time. If they're, you know, if they're, if you set a movie in the in the fifties or the seventies and they're not speaking the way that they would back then, they're speaking the way they are now. That's a failure of film. Yeah. And to your point about Aaron Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin doesn't transport you there. You get there because of the performances, but there's only so much they can do with the dialogue they're given. Look, this is true of Sorkin throughout his entire career. You want to go back through his entire catalog. He's he's written some good stuff. I mean, he wrote uh, he wrote a few it, good it's men. Fine when when you and you're writing contemporary stuff. So yeah, Sports Night works great. You know, The West Wing works great. He's not you know having the West Wing doesn't in places for a very specific reason. Okay, I'm uh, well. Hang I on, haven't dude. one. I haven't seen it. I'm going on what what is the general perception well, of the look, show. look generally. Especially the first couple of seasons, the West Wing's great. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not here to bag on it. I am here to say that the West Wing does flashbacks at points in time mm-hmm. when they're relevant to what's going on. And I, I'm, this is not me accusing him of overusing the flashback at all, but it becomes jarring when you get flashbacks to you know many years ago, and nobody sounds different. Mm-hmm. And look, this is true of all writers, and I bring up Sorkin in particular here because he's the one we're discussing, and how very very obvious it all is yeah um look we brought up jk simmons god bless him great job he's so good he oh nailed <laughs> he nailed the uh not just like not just the tone of voice mm-hmm. he nailed the physicality of that guy uh the posture he like, talks about doing like 20 years or something or 40 years of vaudeville. 40 years in vaudeville yeah yeah and i absolutely believed he did like I thought, like I, there, that line made me think J.K. Simmons had done forty years of vaudeville, uh, which he might have. Like he's that good. Uh, he does. He's a, also a time traveler. Yeah, vaudeville's still around. The vaudeville tradition is still around. Let me phrase sure. it like that. Uh, he's he's great. I, I there's not really a bad acting job in this. There are some that are obviously lesser but none mm. of them that i think rise to greg, bad greg clark is playing greg clark but greg clark clark doesn't hang play... on, clark greg clark greg sorry clark I mean, greg. look first of all buddy get get his first name and a last name not two first names my point is every role he's given just about he's not it's, it's yeah. not particularly dramatic he's the guy when you need someone to deliver like dry sexless dialogue he's your man you know that's why he worked well as the agent in those marvel movies mm. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's fine. He's not asked to do anything. Um, you referenced the actor, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I apologize. Tony but, uh, Hale. Sure, yeah. He's he's actually pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And my tolerance for him varies from film to film. So he was in, um, I think it's Eight Bit Christmas, maybe. No, I'm it. sorry. He's in Clifford. He was in Clifford. I only br- okay. I bring that up because my son, my son, you know, we were talking when we reviewed Clifford. My son's take on Tony Hale was, "Why is his head shaped like an egg?" And he couldn't get past it. <laughs> I was like, oh, um, poor, poor Tony Hale. I mean, look, I really enjoyed him in in uh, Arrested Development, mm-hmm. but 
again, he's just one of those guys that my tolerance for it, it varies. Mm. Uh, there's not again, there's not a bad acting job to be found, but your your big three, you know, Kidman, Bardem, and Simmons all knock it out of the park. Yeah. Um, it's it's a shame that this the structure of this story was not better. It's a shame that they. You have a very rich history with I Love Lucy. Can can I just as, as far as the cast goes, just shout out to Jake Lacey for being very Jake Lacey in this. And he was he? he he's the he's the one that plays the bad comedy writer. Oh, the, okay. He and and like his portrayal of that particular writer, <laughs> Jake Lacey. Jake Lacey kind of is is one of these guys now that whenever you need a douchebag in your in your movie or in your television show he's a good douchebag he wasn't quite as bad in high fidelity um where he was just sort of the jockey boyfriend that uh zoe kravitz was um leading on but for the most part like i said you need a douchebag jake lacy's a good douche um there was one moment of writing that i kind of wanted to call out as i thought being pretty darn good mm-hmm uh, there's a bit where the female comedy writer is trying to sell Lucille Ball on. I'm trying to make Lucy smarter. Mm-hmm. And Lucille Ball takes exception to this as she should. And her line in response to this is, I'm not looking for an outside. I'm not looking for a strong female perspective. I'm looking to be funny. Right. Understand the brief. <laughs> know the assignment. And, and I appreciated that in mostly because that's the moment when so many other writers, again, I'll give Sorkin credit where it's due. So many other writers would have made that a big point. Mm-hmm. Like this, this movie, this entire movie would have been about how do we present Lucille Ball? How do we, how do we present Lucy as a strong, independent woman who don't need no man? And how this valiant up and coming comedy writer was shot down by the patriarchy. <laughs> Like that, that would have been the movie for some in other people's hands. And so I wanted to give him credit for that. I thought it was a good bit of writing for him to point out this stupid trend and go, it's not appropriate here. Stop it. Yeah. I mean, if that's even remotely true in how she felt, it goes to the brilliance of Lucille Ball, who I just never really thought about. But I think if this movie does one thing exceptionally well, besides present wonderful performances, is that it truly frames Lucille Ball as a comedy genius. And really, somebody who has contributed to the collective uh, American culture in more in, in ways most people will never even come close to. People, I if there's one thing your stupid framing device for this movie was good about doing, it was establishing how big I Love Lucy was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when the EP, the old version of the executive producer, sitting there going, you know. 30 million people watched this every week. They had to change which night of the week stores were open because <laughs> no one would go shopping while this was on. Like you don't get that anymore. Yeah. Which is true. Uh, well, I've been talking about that for years now. I mean, a lot of what we talk about goes back to the rise of streaming, but I, I have, I even before streaming became a really popular thing. It was sort of a, a niche way to distribute film and television. I had been talking about like the long tail of culture probably since I read the book on it. And that was over 10 years ago. It was before I met my current wife. So, you know, just the compartmentalization of culture about 15, and the long... about 15 years ago when Aaron Sorkin was still a halfway decent writer. Yeah. The compartmentalization of culture and the, you know, and the long tail, uh, you know, of 
people watching and viewing and, and partaking in it. It it didn't used to be that way. It used to be more siloed. You know, there were three new there were three channels, there were three news networks. We had a much richer, much closer, much more enmeshed cultural experience. You are now a stranger to your neighbor in many ways. You know, there was in that same vein, I forget who I heard say this, but I heard somebody talk about it. Uh, about some of like the loss of shared culture. Yeah. How, you know, what is it that, I mean, the entire notion of the water cooler discussion is something of a mm-hmm. uh, relic of a bygone era almost. But, you know, there was a time when you had cultural touchstones that, sort of irrespective of everything else going on about you as a person, you could, you know, you could talk about, you could talk about, I love Lucy. I mean, I don't like Seinfeld, but you could talk about Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, just as an example of that, and this is the last thing, and then we should probably move on. Um, I watched the, uh, the, the latest WWE event uh, that would normally be on a Sunday. It was a Saturday this past week because F my calendar. Um, day one, Mark. <laughs> day, day one. one. All day long, day one. Uh, uh, ooh, they so should, you know what? They should keep that tradition and have the pay per view on whatever day of the week it falls on. <laughs> Wednesday, day one. Um, I'm not they, kidding. <laughs> so they brought out this musical act, and I and I <laughs> and and the, I know where you're going with this. And it's the 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 WWE is trying to hitch its wagon to whatever um, pop cultural thing is happening at the moment. And 20 to 30 years ago, whatever they would have brought out, everyone in the room would have known. You would have had to have been like purposely avoiding pop culture to not know what it was. Now pop culture is so compartmentalized. They brought out this group. This happened with Bad Bunny at WrestleMania, where it was like, you know, Grammy Award winning artist, Bad Bunny. And everyone in the room is, like, look at, is looking at each other going, okay. who the hell is this person? I Full disclosure about that. Yeah. They said Bad Bunny. I went. I've, I have, until this moment, <laughs> I wasn't even watching Raw. I like, heard someone else say, like, till this moment right now, mm-hmm. I've never been, fo- I was not aware of this human being's existence on the planet. Right. And it turns out he's kind of a big deal in other subcultures. Right. And that's, that's the thing. It's like Grammy award winning. He's clearly sold one or two albums. He's clearly a pop culture icon of some re- uh, report. And repeat. He's not. He's not there by accident. Like they right. didn't pull names out and of And no hat. one knew who the hell he was. And there were people like. And it wasn't just like my old ass. Like my wife, who is ingrained in popular culture, didn't know who he was. My kids, who are somewhat ingrained in no, popular culture, didn't know who he was. No one people in the on audience. Twitter didn't know who he was. Yeah, no one in the audience knew who he was. Right. Just, you, and then this happened again, where it's like they they send out two fairly popular wrestlers with this rap group or whatever or soul or whatever the hell they are. I don't, I don't know. Isn't it like me. I don't know. Or something? It could have been death metal for all I knew. I'm no, now I'm... no. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. That I, I'd I'd approve, but <laughs> um, no, it, it's some iteration of pop and soul came out and they were called i guess migos or something like that sure. and again no one knew yeah. who the hell they were i just called i think i just called them miso which is not yeah that that's a soup which is a, which is a um, well miso's a paste it goes into miso it's an ingredient anyway in miso soup. and then they stand in the ring and they pose for the you know to get the to absorb the adoration of the fans hang on hang on like... my my favorite line about that actually comes mm-hmm. from uh matthew of botchamania mm-hmm even the fake crowd machine couldn't be asked to do anything. 
<laughs> so my point being, like the the fake noise machine that the, that they plug in on occasion, even that could be. WWE bothered. didn't do anything wrong. It's just we don't have the shared cultural experiences like we used to in mass anymore to where that would have been effective. Well, they I, brought out a popular artist of some no description, but popular now means doesn't mean nearly what it used to 10, 20, 30 years ago. You want to know the, the celebrity that's garnered the most reaction that they brought out in the last five years? You're going to hate me for saying it, and I hate myself for saying it, but it's the truth. It's, it's Logan Paul. No, I don't hate you for that. I... I... <laughs> I, I have long since getting stopped getting emotional. Look, when I heard they were they were possibly going to do a sequel to History of the World, that was the last time I got emotional <laughs> about something like this. Everything else is case and ah, said ah. All right, whatever yeah. will be will be. Um, okay. Yeah, wrap up. I'm just trying to think if there was anything else about the um craft that I wanted to mention. Uh, no. Again, the my hat is off in all seriousness to the actors in this movie and you know, our, mm -hmm. our leading three in particular uh you guys this is not did... a best picture nominee this is no. a, this is a best actor best actress deal best actor best actress best supporting actor best mm -hmm. uh like best production best costume design like there's yeah. elements here 100 percent. Right. but not best screenplay not not best picture not by a long nope. shot not even close uh yeah look the screenplay the overall structure the cinematography the score hint hint None of those are especially uh, noteworthy. I, I got it. Thanks. So again, not best picture, but elements of this. Absolutely. Some of the best stuff of the award season year. hundred percent. Yep. All right. And with that, let us return as we do to Rotten Tomatoes. Are you ready? This segment of the critical review is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. For a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Unlimited service, head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Make sure you complete the sign-up process, uh, and you will be able to stream unlimitedly all 70 million songs, as many songs you can listen to for an entire month. If you like it, you keep it. If not, you can cancel. No fuss, no muss. But who doesn't love free music? You can even find podcasts there, such as ours. That's we're right. On, we're, we're, we are over there. And you can enable your household devices, your echoes and uh, whatever else they're called. To play your favorite podcast like ours and you know we'd like to remind you at this time that if you've just happened upon it and you would like to hear more of our shows please like and subscribe wherever you found this we're on every podcatcher and we're also in video form as you can see on youtube yeah you can see me when i flip off the critics when they do a bad job and here we go with that all right so the uh, oh hang on hang on i have to pitch <laughs> Sorry, a group chat just popped up. Someone wanted to know who the who the villain for season five of Cobra Kai will be. I am pitching Zombie Miyagi. <laughs> you know, I get ir mildly irritated when one of you interrupts. You know, something I'm trying to do structurally for idiotic nonsense. I'm gonna let that one slide. That I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna allow Zombie Miyagi. 
Zombie Miyagi. We've already look that show has long since passed over any sense of reality. So Zombie <laughs> Mr. Miyagi. I somebody somebody um I was listening to a podcast about Cobra Kai and they were like, how it might have been critically acclaimed, like like how one or a rather red letter media, like how one part of California could be this closely tied to like after school karate is beyond any comprehension. But yet it works somehow. Um all right. So the critics like this one a little bit more than they liked. Uh, don't look up. It's at sixty nine percent, and the audience likes nice. it about the same. Um, being the Ricardos can't hope to truly capture its subject's brilliant star power, but Nicole Kidman has a ball with Aaron Sorkin's Spitfire dialogue. Yeah, again, I I think you're entirely correct. Like Aaron Sorkin, without knowing it, has been trying to write dialogue for Nicole Kidman his entire life. Really? Again, like, again, without knowing it, like I'm writing. He's oh, okay. writing. And somewhere out there is someone who's really going to get the rhythm and the poetry that I'm sp- that I've got here. And turns out it was Nicole Kidman. All right, Betty Joe Tucker of Real Talk Movie Reviews, casting the usually wonderful Kidman as Lucille Ball is like asking Angelina Jolie to play Carol Burnett in a Which biopic. Is, okay, hang on. I don't actually hate that now that you bring it up. <laughs> and putting Bardem, Oscar winner for his villainous role in No Country for Old Men, in the part of music man Desi Arnaz makes no sense. You did not watch the movie if you don't <laughs> understand why they cast him in that role. Like yeah. I again, if all you're talking about is how they is like again, headshot to headshot, no, they don't look alike. Watch okay. the movie and there's Watch that film, and there's no doubt. There's no doubt why Bart. Look, Javier Bardem's one of those guys, and someone, uh, some friends of mine pointed this out to me. If all you had is Bardem's headshot, he's not. You wouldn't necessarily think of him as an attractive man. Mm-hmm. But something about him, man, he's got sex appeal. Uh, I'm gonna read one, and then I'm gonna go uh, AFK for just a second. Uh, so, vamp. Craig D. Lindsay of Crooked Marquee. Ricardo's comes off like a histrionic, sensationalistic, mawkish TV movie, which is crazy since a histrionic, sensationalistic TV movie about Lucy and Desi Arnaz already happened 30 years ago. Uh, that's a, that is a gross exaggeration of this movie. This is not this is not histrionic. Like, I'm not sure quite where he gets that. Sorkin's writing is subdued most of the time rather than. Uh, again, genuflecting it over the top like that. that that's not accurate. Hawkish, uh, yeah, I'll give you that one. But I, I also don't object. I also don't agree with the notion that this comes across like a TV movie. This, for whatever flaws it has, this does actually feel like a feature-length film. Again, it's too long. But it has the shine and the polish of an actual movie, not a made-for-TV one. So I, I don't agree with that. Uh, unless, unless you're the type of person, I suppose, who only grew up in an era when made-for-TV movies got the same budget as Game of Thrones. Okay, then. Uh uh ellen giselle of metro times detroit michigan aaron sorkin's being the ricardos isn't great for reasons that are interesting and is downright bad for reasons that are perhaps even more interesting that is an overwrought sentence i don't know why you decided to do that <laughs> that, makes that, no is, sense. that is one where i would need to read the whole review to get the context of that because that i would but still, odd that's, sentence that is a- 
there's gotta be context to that, but oh man. Um Deirdre Malumbi of entertainment.ie. Everything feels rushed in a two and a half hour movie, lady. And it's sure. come on. <laughs> Everything feels rushed and like a box ticking exercise of what revolutionary moments of I Love Lucy to include. The resulting feature feels cool and flat. You know, the only thing I'm going to say about that that I think is fair, and we touched on this, it's overstuffed. And they there was no narrative direction. Uh, Don K of Den of Geek, that uh, vaunted website. I love Lucy, comma, but not here. Wow. <laughs> you, uh, you feel good about yourself there, buddy? <laughs> Nobody at Den of Geek feels good about themselves. I'm I'm shocked it's still in operation. Yeah. Um let's see here. Barry Barry Hurts, I'm sure he does, of Globe and Mail, <laughs> top critic. Cast uh, Kidman's casting might not be the move that some anticipated, but it is the move that Ball's legacy deserves. The trouble is that the film Kidman signed on for is not quite there. That's true. Uh, that, that's what we again, yeah, that's kind of where we landed. Like yeah. the acting is phenomenal, but the script is a bit of a letdown. Uh, Kathea Woods with, I think, just a very helpful and uh, what what an excerpt of her, what I'm sure is a wonderful criticism worthy of a Pulitzer uh, from Cup of Soul. Underwhelming. Look, I'm not saying you can't call the movie underwhelming. I'm not even saying you can't call the movie underwhelming in your blurb for something like Rotten Tomatoes. You can. If your blurb on Rotten Tomatoes is one word... I question why they let you still be there, especially when we're not. Sean Burns of The Artery, capital letters, A-R-A-R-T. Do you get it? Do you get it? I get what I'm about to open up on that guy, and we'll just see how. <laughs> Sorkin's bafflingly bad biopic, biopic, Jesus Christ, is a cranky harangue of straw man arguments and fabricated nonsense. Okay. No. <laughs> How do you possibly arrive at this being full of straw man arguments? Yeah, I don't. What's get the that. argument being presented here? No, you moron! <laughs> did you just look up a term? Like, did you look up a list of debating faux pas and decide that's the one? I mean, you might as well have just said red herrings. <laughs> you might as well have said hucksterism. It would have made more sense given this was filmed in front of a live studio audience. But here we are. You landed on straw man. Good for you. Linda Cook with Douche another bag. deeply unhelpful review. Our Quad Cities, WHBF-TV, Illinois. You'll love Lucy, Dreep. Will I now? You, you, you're going to be the supreme <laughs> arbiter of what I enjoy and what I don't? Or who I enjoy and who I don't? I, I, see, I... see. Lucille Ball was on a show because I love Lucy, which means you'll love Lucy because I love Lucy because you'll love Lucy. Do you get it, man? Uh, the only I'm thing you're about to Jamie Fox in No Way Home. The only thing you're about to get is a a, a shove in front of a bus. <laughs> Stop threatening murder on this show. Doesn't uh, have to be a moving bus. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff York of the establishing shot. It's a tough expose of Tinseltown, sexism, racism. The hell the it is! The creative process. Ball may not have always been easy to love, but she earned the respect of those she worked with by hook or by crook. Well, look, I'll get... I don't this... think this man watched the movie. I think he wrote that when he was told that he was going to have to cover it. 
somebody find that man and beat him with a fish, preferably a large one. Like, what the hell? This is not an this is not an expose on sexism. There's I'm not saying there's no sexism that is discussed. I'm saying it's they actually ham fisted in the writing a little bit. Like again, we have our smart, capable comedy writer who goes, and that's how I succeeded as a woman in a comedy writing room. Good for you, I guess. But like Ball is never condescended to because she's a woman. Yeah. Neither I, no one is no one is in this film. Like right. unless your unless your argument about the sexism thing is well we have to pretend that women never get pregnant in which case i don't know what to say to you if you decide that's a discussion that was a discussion on sexism in an in a city and an industry that still and very publicly very recently dealt with allegations of outright abuse as opposed to a a, a larger discussion about do we want to show a pregnant woman on television? Roger Moore, Robert's father, weighing in from uh, Movie Nation. Witty no. and witty and bittersweet, a biopic that, like Spencer, I, I need to talk about that. And King Richard forces us to take another look at public figures we think we know and consider them anew. I don't know if you watched Spencer. Clearly, Roger Moore didn't. But Alexis and I talked about this. It is an imagining. It is an imagining, a reimagining of of Lady Di the week that she decides to leave her husband. It is very artfully done, though a bit confusing and muddled, and it drove both Alexis and I a little insane watching also, it. My wife also, hated the damn thing. It I is also, in no way an actual biopic. I was gonna say, I imagine it's also deeply ahistorical. Yeah. It, and I think it says like right in the Wikipedia page, like it's a reimagining of the week that led her to leave her husband. It, you know, the crown comes closer to reality. Spencer was like an art piece done about that subject matter. Look, I don't Spencer, know why he, like, I, I don't know why Roger Moore decided to include that here. I, I will deal with him in a second. Look, I imagine <laughs> they decided to do Spencer the way they did as a sad attempt to remind people that Kristen Stewart is actually a decent actress when given moderately decent material. Which is which she, is true. Yeah, I was gonna say she. I think she gets. I don't want to do too long of a tangent. We are almost at two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. But like Kristen Stewart is unfairly judged by some of the pictures she's been in, which don't really utilize her acting ability. She absolutely deserves an Oscar nomination. Probably doesn't deserve to win, but she absolutely deserves a nomination for Spencer. And I think she just picked up. So whatever awards were were being uh, reported on Twitter today, she won one of them. Sure, good for her. Uh, but as far as Roger Moore goes about the rest of that, those are unfair, inaccurate comparisons. Go home, Dad. You're drunk. <laughs> I appreciate you calling him Dad. Um, we'll do that on rare occasion because it makes you laugh. Uh, let's do one more and then call it an evening. Um, let's see here. Let's go. <laughs> Sarah Clements of, of pay or wait. I I don't know how all of these people are getting these. They can't have the following you need to actually have to be on here. There's no way they are wait has that kind of following. I genuinely think a lot of them were grandfathered in. Like, I, but I've never period... seen that one before. That's one of the reasons why I focused on it. Like I've never even heard of this. Well, you could tell you what. Google it afterwards, and we'll see what we can find out. All right, but uh, but but uh, but Sarah Clement of Pay or Wait, you know, another vaunted whatever it is. It's not vaunted. It's not even a whatever it is. 
While its hiccups won't see it listed among Sorkin's best, his deft hand, John Huntsman's detailed set recreations, and Susan Lyle's period costume design successfully transport the audience back to the soundstage of one of TV's best shows. You, eh, you she's know, not wrong. No, she is not wrong at all about that. That's one of the things we mentioned. Like the again, the set design and the costuming are very, very good here. Like the, there's elements of this film that deserve awards, nominations, and wins in some cases. There's right. others that are very much not. All right, I found our favorite guy on here. We'll end with his. Oh, Kevin no. Carr, a fat guy at the movies. Why must you abuse this man, Mark? <laughs> why do you do this? To, why do you keep? Why do you keep pointing me at this poor guy? Got <laughs> sadist, I guess. Uh, if you're a big Fair fan enough. of Lucille Ball and her television legacy, you'll walk away with a good view of this movie. But it falls into the traps of the biopic. <sighs> you know what? In some respects, yes, but in others, no. Like I'm. I did not have the same complaints about this that I did about other biopics, especially when it comes to their formula. Mm -hmm. This movie has problems, but being a formulaic stereotypical biopic is not one of them. So I so so Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody came out around the same time, and there's a, a really good dichotomy between how biopics are are told and handled. Rocket Man is very artfully done. It, it, it uses its a you know, it uses the screen to tell an interesting and dynamic story while also pointing at some of the things, some more than others, that, you know, were, were not great about Elton John's life. Bohemian Rhapsody just comes across like a VH1's behind the music, where it's just a recitation of well, events. hang on. And I think in both cases, neither of them were tremendously accurate, but I'm not getting into that right now. Well, look, as far, here's the other problem with Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Of all the things I could say about that movie, positive, negative, and in between, here's my biggest negative of that film. Watch that film again and look at how it's edited. Mm -hmm. Look at just how many. That thing looks like it's edited by Kevin Dunn. If you're a wrestling fan, you get that reference. There's a lunch scene where there are more, where there are like 20 cuts in 60 seconds. Isn't that what I said about don't look up? Like, I'm getting a little tired of the lack of self-control at the editing bay. Let the shot breathe, people. Come on. Yeah, yeah it's... it. You know, I, you know, I'm not on. prone to epilepsy, but some of these films are going to cause me to have a seizure one day. Look, I, I, one thing I'll give... Another thing I'll give Sorkin for being the Ricardos, the narrative might shotgun from from place to place and scene to scene in ways that drive me up the wall. When it's time for a long still shot, mm -hmm. he lets the camera rest and he lets Nicole Kidman just kind of take the scene and lets it hang there. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, there's a lot of her dialogue where there there's a couple of beats before they move the camera or they or another character speaks. You just kind of it's just kind of Nicole Kidman in the frame doing whatever she's doing with her body after having said a thing that she said. So it has time to register with the audience, which I cannot say for don't look up or, uh, and, you know, or, uh, or again, some of the, or the, some of the, or like Bohemian Rhapsody. Same thing. Uh, they do kind of the same thing with Javier Bardem on occasion. They mm -hmm. let a scene, they let a cut, they let a shot sit there and yep. they let the man act. Okay. Can we, I don't know what we need to do to move film past this particular trend, but can we get past the rapid fire editing thing where, where it's just, it, 
it's not a music video. You can you can just like the, the it, they're trying to give you a sense of the character's anxiety and don't look up with all the cutting that they do. But for me, it was distracting and it took away from the movie well, as opposed to being the Ricardos, where there's you know the it's not quite 1917, but the editing isn't nearly as noticeable. Uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to Bohemian Rhapsody, I want to give the editing credit for one thing. There's a few sequences when they use that rapid fire editing to de- to help depict the creative process for mm-hmm. some of the like the bit where they're creating the song Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought the editing style worked there as a as a means of helping you get inside the creative brain. Yeah. When they're having lunch with their agent, I don't need 18 cuts over the eggs, guys. <laughs> Nobody does. Yeah, Stop it. You're not doing special effects here. It's fine. All right, that is our reviews of Don't Look unless, Up. Ra- unless Rami Malek's prosthetic teeth were falling out every five seconds, there's no excuse. Goodness gracious. That is our review, yet again, of Don't Look Up and Being the Ricardos. I mentioned it before. Last night, Sean and I did a triple feature, and I thought I was particularly cheeky with these films I chose. Um, <laughs> it was Titan, El Camino, and Christine. If I will send you a shiny nickel, if you can guess the theme of that one. Ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, was it cars? Vroom, vroom. Uh, Jesse hosted a roundtable of everyone I locked out of the Spider-Man No Way Home review that could that could do a podcast. So it was Jesse, Evan Bevins, David Wright, and Spider-Man superfan Benjamin J. Cologne. Uh, I imagine glorious, heap, glorious praise was heaped upon that film. Hey, there was a lot. Sugar, no. Get out of there. Um, dog wants to drink from the toilet, I tell you. Uh, speaking what, of drinking from the toilet. Speaking of drinking from the toilet, Jason Teasley and I uh, reviewed You Season 3. <laughs> now that's a transition. I know. Uh, and then Source Material kicked off a year of fun comic reviews with Billionaire Island by Ronnie Adams' favorite writer, Mark Russell. That was myself. Uh... Oh, Okay, hang on. I missed the sarcasm on fun when you went through that line. <laughs> we went through that first. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, it was Jesse Starcher, uh, Evan Bevins, and myself talking Billionaire Island from Ahoy Comics. Tomorrow. Ahoy there. Yes. Tomorrow, um, I, I dropped the Cybertronic spree off the schedule. I just didn't see a point. But um, the MCU's Bleeding Edge did a couple of reaction videos to this band called Bandmaid, which is a bunch of Japanese women dressed up as, as maids, which apparently is a cultural thing in Japan. Uh, it has and, been for some time. And so, stealing from my next best neighbor, uh, I, we're going to do a, a full review of Unseen World by Bandmaid tomorrow night on the Metal Hammer of Doom. Mark? I'm not afraid to steal from my competitors. I'm not asking you to be afraid to steal from other people. I'm asking you to not piss off the people with racist, <laughs> ju- with, with racist jokes. I, I will not do any impressions. I swear to it. I, I learned my I mean, lesson. Look, it was fine when you were just saying the title of the song. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, there was an episode of Baby Metal on the Metal Hammer of Doom. It where... wasn't that. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't Baby Metal. It was. Oh. It was a Metal Hammer of Doom extra of Baby Metal performing live with Judas yeah, yeah, Priest. Yeah. That's what. It yeah, was. that that's what it was. And there was a song where <clears throat> a song where the word "killer" is used. Mm-hmm. And one can imagine Mark going. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I was complimentary. I wasn't. You were no, no, them. like I. You were, man. Like you weren't insulting them. You weren't dim- dismissive. You were complimentary of the track overall. Like the, the, you were fair in your criticism, but 
some of the people couldn't understand that <laughs> the the YouTube comment section being what it is. Couldn't could, did not focus on my use of the word adorable and went straight to my my uh, uh, mocking them for their lack of ability to pronounce to pronounce L's. Um. Uh. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Thursday night, uh, I will be on movies that suck and some that don't. Uh, talking the best of the year. I, I revealed that list on the Matrix uh, review. You want to go back and hear that. Um, I will be sharing that list with them. And then when we're done with that, I have my own podcast to do with Evan Bevins and Ronnie Adams. We will be do watching, uh, reviewing rather, Prisoners of Ghostland, Shadows in the Cloud, and Out of Death, which I just finished up today. Prisoners of Ghostland is really bizarre. Um, Friday night, David and Wright and I will be finishing up our review of Lost in Space season three, the finale season. Um, I've been enjoying it so far. I'll uh, I really enjoy talking about that with David. Saturday, the fastest rising star in the in the Rattledgen Broadcasting Network pantheon of panelists. Jonas Rattledge and I will be doing a comic strip uh, comparing Rumble, currently exclusively on Paramount Plus, to Monster on a Hill, the book in which it was adapted from. Plus, there'll be a re-airing of our Hotel Transylvania 2 review since a week from Friday, Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania, will be on Amazon Prime. Sunday, 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 uh, another source material will be dropping. This is Evan Bevins and Jesse Starcher talking Chip Zdarsky's first volume of his 2019 Daredevil run, No Fear, or To No Fear, depending on which site you're looking at it. And then we begin the long march to Scream 5 with our two-part re-airing of our Long Road to Ruin on the Scream movies. That'll be Monday and Tuesday, plus a review of Cobra Kai and the 355. And, uh, and that's it. So that's, that's all for now. That's what I've got. Uh, again, please remember to like and subscribe wherever it is you find us. And uh, remember to continue to check out our... our uh, I don't know, I, hang on, I was just finishing. Our, remember to check out our YouTube page and uh, subscribe there as well. And now Robert will tell you what he's doing on 411 this week. Uh, before I get into my plugs, I just wanted to give everyone out there a big thank you. Uh, 2021 sucked in a lot of ways. I don't think that's a, that's fairly unambiguously true statement. Uh, but we here at the Ride Legend Broadcasting Network had a pretty darn good 2021 in point of fact. Uh, we closed out with December being our best month ever, pretty much. Uh, the year overall was quite good. And we're looking to keep that going in 2022. So I wanted to just express my gratitude to all of you once again. And my hope that you will continue sharing us to any and all of your friends, associates, enemies, or strangers who you think we, might potentially benefit from what we do here. We, if you're looking for some more interaction with us uh, and you're a Discord person, we have a Discord now. The link is in the description for what that's Does that for. still work or did that, uh, you get, is that the same one you sent me? Because I got a link expired when I clicked on that. Uh -huh. I don't know. I don't know how to work Discord. <laughs> Neither do I. I just I I, I did it as, as I was told. But if you okay. look, if you'd like if you'd like to be on our Discord and can't seem to get to it with the link I provided, uh, send an email to sgarmer at gmail.com. Uh, I look. I will harass one of my. I will harass my brother who's a fan of our shows. He does a bit more of the Discord thing than I do. So uh, I wanted to say thank you to that again. We have the Right Ocean Broadcasting Network Facebook page. You can follow Mark on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, 
we're somewhat active. Look, I'm a fairly innocuous follow on Twitter. I promise not to fill your feed with with politics or porn. And if you're wondering what else exists on Twitter, I don't know either, but I won't give you those two things. I tend to retweet a lot of movie news, like Morbius being delayed for the 40th time. <laughs> you better Dude, about how, how bad is it that New Mutants was trending on Twitter today because people were comparing the amount of delays in Morbius to New Mutants, the most delayed movie in history until now? Uh, New Mutants is not the most delayed movie in history, but... but that's That's was what was touted on Twitter today. Aren't you, st look, the hill you're dying on is that Gambit is still the most delayed movie in history and that it's still coming. You know, you motherfuckers, I don't talk <laughs> about Gambit, okay? You talk about it. I know. I talk about Gambit. Look, I don't talk I, about it. I talk about it. I poke you on occasion because you do that. That's what. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, that, that's my big thank you to everyone out there. Please continue uh, with everything that you're doing as far as that goes. We hope to continue annoying and entertaining you in equal measures. We know we do both. We're, we're self-aware here as far as that goes. Uh, as far as my other work, I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week over at 411mania.com. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. Pretty darn great episode this week, actually. I uh, gave it, I think, a seven. Uh, so good on that particular scale. Uh, the legend they use seven out of ten is good so good episode you know it's only 40 minutes dark Ele elevation is i got so much crap for saying what elevation was before other people realized it when it was back when that show would occasionally dip to like an hour and 40 minutes or two and a half hours because they were just playing around with it i said publicly i don't need two hours of AEW's version of heat or velocity because that's what that is and there's nothing wrong with that but that's what that is the shit I got for saying the truth. <laughs> the people who went, oh, so that's your only rubric, huh? You can only compare it to something the WWE's done. You know what? <laughs> I could have compared it to other things, but it is what it is. Uh, and look, if for what it is, it's a perfectly acceptable professional wrestling show. Watch it. Enjoy it. Read my reviews. I Thanks. I cover MLW, which is back in action this week, actually. They will be they finished up their Fusion Alpha miniseries starting this week. Is there as um I think it's just Azteca. The MLW Azteca series. They're in Mexico, they were in Mexico for most of these tapings. So I will be covering that on Thursday, I believe is when they moved to. So the ongoing adventures of uh Dario Dario Cueto, who changed his name, he's now Caesar Duran. Uh, Alexander Hammerstone, King Muertes, and all the good people over at MLW. It's a really good product. It's a shame no one's watching. I can be on. It, it doesn't draw good numbers. I'm not going to lie about it. I watch it. I like it. I wish they did better. I'm not going to pretend that they're doing great when they're, you know, not ring. I'm not here stumping for Ring of Honor going, Ring of Honor is great as it goes out of business. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not delusional. And I cover WWE SmackDown on Fridays. So I will be covering the fallout from day one, such as it is. Uh, after apparently, after a Raw episode that was apparently pretty terrible, apart from two segments, one of which involved Paul Heyman, no shock there. So Friday, live coverage of SmackDown. If you're so inclined, give that a listen. I covered uh, MMA for 411mania.com on the weeks it occurs. There was no UFC event this week. However, 
I will be writing up in the near future, as in later tonight, possibly tomorrow, my 2021 year-end awards for mixed martial arts. So my thoughts on which fighter had the worst luck, my worst fight of the year, my best fight of the year, fighter of the year, knockout of the year, submission of the year, etc., will all be available up there in that list. Uh, the first episode of the po other podcast that I host, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, will be recording this Sunday. Uh, I was supposed to do one last Sunday, and, well, this the last week or so of 2021 kicked my butt. And I some of it was physical, some of it was mental, and that Sunday rolled around and I just, I didn't have it. So... Uh, we're just shifting around some of the scheduling there. It will be uh, this Sunday. It will be previewing the first UFC event of the year, <clears throat> which will be headlined by Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater, which is a darn good fight. So we'll get my full preview on that. And I'll probably go over a little bit my year end awards as well on the podcast. It just won't be as in depth as my writing up of them will be. So if you're interested in mixed martial arts, please give those a listen or read i do that again pretty much every week because the ufc runs pretty much every week all right folks thanks for joining us here on damn you hollywood tune in next week when we review the 355 and i'll mostly be telling robert what my daughter thought of it that's how i'm going to handle the whole thing i <laughs> i want to i want you to understand part of why i said we should do that oh really look mark let, let, let's talk turkey here we, we're honest right we're honest with each other we're honest with the people well, you're not. You lie to the people all the time. <laughs> I'm a propaganda machine. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you lie. Well, then you can't admit it. You okay? You lie to the people all the time about things I'm doing and what I like. Sure. But we we tell the truth here. There have been a lot of crappy female-led action-attempted movies over the last couple of years. Mm. We've reviewed some of them. Some of them we looked at and went, "I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire." You're not getting podcast time. I think it does, however, behoove us to try and find at least one of them that doesn't suck because it's the law of averages says one of these isn't going to suck sometime. You've got a good cast, some of whom have proven they can handle action appropriately. I'm willing to take a flyer on this one and just see what happens. If it sucks, we'll say it sucks. Wasn't the director Simon Kinberg or something like that? I don't know. I have to that, look. Anyway, so yeah, tune in next that, week. We're wait, doing wait, wait, no, no. If it is, that changes everything. <laughs> Um, I, no, I don't. I don't want to do another twenty minutes on this. No, no. So, um, so yeah, we got the three five five, and then uh, we've got Scream five, um, and then either we're doing Escape from Spiderhead and Mother Android, or just Mother Android. We'll see what ends up happening. And, and, and look, if we only do Mother Android, we're probably going to do a twenty twenty one retrospective as well to go along yeah. with it. So, and then that, and look, that one's up in the air because nobody can schedule anything. Mark, <laughs> Mark, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> this is all I want you to do. I want you to email every movie studio your copy <laughs> of the schedule you have laid out for us. I just want you to go to the... Uh, here's the only thing I want you to say. I'm not saying you need to stick to this to save me. I'm saying if you can't, hire me and I will take care of this for you. <laughs> um yeah the morbius move hurt me i was in the middle of watching the matrix when that happened and my wife's like why are you so mad <laughs> and i'm just like i'm gonna move a whole week because of scheduling that i had planned for morbius this was like oh i'm gonna leave the house i know how you get when this happens why why is woman your wife 
And the phrase that pays here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network is when my wife says I have to leave the house. So that is the end of our show. Be well, be safe, and behave.